welcome to episode 39 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Tonight, we are recording on July 9th, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. And with me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who is the editor at Game Critics. How are things going, Brad? Uh, better tonight, man. Better tonight. I'm back where I want to be, doing what I want to be doing. It's on. Feeling good. <laughs> well, uh, listeners, in case you're wondering why Brad says that he's doing better tonight, it's because we, at, uh, at the So Video Games show, we had a very special occasion the last time we recorded and if you're wondering about why you didn't hear about this the last time we recorded, it's because we had our very first ever Lost Show. So if you've ever done a podcast, or if you've ever listened to a podcast, you probably have heard about a Lost Show. Basically, we didn't record last weekend because I was out of town in New York all weekend. And so we had the bright idea of recording a midweek show on Wednesday whenever, because I flew back in on like Sunday night, I think, um, doing a midweek show, a really banter-heavy show, just kind of talking about uh, what I did in New York, what Brad had been up to during the week, and maybe uh, getting a little bit of games in there, but mostly a banter show. Well, Brad and I got all set up. We started uh, getting ready to record. We, we recorded 57 minutes of our podcast, and then the computer that I used to record on decided to just shut off in the middle of the show. It re uh, restarted, it shut off, um, took me a minute to get it back on, and all of the audio that I had been recording natively on my side was gone. So unfortunately... We hit a milestone. It took us, uh, we got 38 episodes under our belt before uh, before we hit our first official Lost show. But uh, we got to have a really nice chat about New York and about uh, a bunch of other stuff and about um, self-defense and about home invasion. And this Dude, is totally. all stuff. I was, <laughs> I was totally going to bring up the home invasions. We talked about black ice cream. We talked about hipster restaurants. It was a good show. I'm so mad that it, it was lost. I mean, it's nobody's fault. It just happens. But... You know, I mean, I have like my half of the of the audio and it sucks because, you know, I mean, it's no good without your half. It's it's a shame. I really wish we could have shared that because I know we have quite a few people who love hearing the banter. And that was like it was really good. I felt like we yeah. were kind of uh, we were kind of popping that night. So I'm really <laughs> uh, such a shame. But hopefully that will be our one and only lost episode. So. Indeed. And we might be able to recreate a little bit of that magic tonight because I know I'm going to be talking about uh my New York trip and my banter section because, you know, I haven't talked about it yet. But Brad, before we start banter, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? I am ready. Do you know what today is the anniversary of, the one-year anniversary of? Jesus, the one-year anniversary. Well, we're only on episode 39. I mean, if it was a one-year for us, it would be episode 52. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't know. Is it like your first ever published review at Game Critics? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've been writing no? Game Critics for like several years, so hopefully this is not the one year anniversary of me. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. I, I thought maybe like the date would be the thing, not that, that uh, it was one year. Okay, that's stupid. Stupid of me. Uh, <laughs> what else, uh, what else could it be the one year of? It's, uh, 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 no, I can't talk about that in the air. Um... <laughs> I don't know, man. You got me. What is it? 
Uh, I'm like 98% sure this is true. And if I'm false, I'm only off by like one or two days. But if my sources are correct, tonight, one year ago, you and I were sitting down together to record the video game break show with friend of the show, Carlos Rodello, when I was in Seattle. Oh, you know, you are probably totally correct. You are probably correct. Boy, good memory, dude. What, uh, what triggered you to think about that? Well, I was thinking about um, whenever I went to New York, uh, because I, I know we've talked about on the show before that like you and I don't really do vacations a whole lot. And I feel like I'm a little bit guilty because I feel like I've been taking more vacations recently. But um, whenever I was gearing up to fly out to New York and, you know, go on like an official vacation, I was thinking to myself, well, when is the last time I went on like a real vacation? And then I thought, oh, well, it was when I went to Seattle last year. And I remembered that... I had gone to Seattle around the 4th of July, um, like right in the middle of July. And I went to New York, like right, I actually flew back into uh, Louisiana on the 4th of July. And last year I flew out to Seattle, I think it was on like the 8th or 9th of July. Um, so I decided to kind of check back through my schedule and see, cause I had a little, this is gonna sound so nerdy, but I had a, I have a little spreadsheet saved on my computer that had like date allotments for what I was doing every day and who I was doing things with. And according to my schedule, we recorded the video game break show with Carlos tonight, one year ago. That makes perfect sense. I'm sure that is. It's funny that you mentioned Carlos because I really like uh, Carlos, good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella. Uh, and he has been hopping and bopping, doing stuff in Seattle. I hadn't talked to him for a while. Uh, he kind of dropped off the map uh, for various reasons, but he, he just popped back up. He actually sent me a message the other day and he was like, oh, dude, let's get together. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's get together. And, uh, you know, you and I had been thinking about uh, potentially having a guest on the show at some point. You know, we kind of uh, haven't committed to anything yet, but it would be great to have Carlos on the show. We're going to have to have him on at some point and uh, we'll uh, introduce him to a whole new legion of, uh, of listeners. <laughs> Indeed. And um, I should have prepped a little bit of notes before this, but um he just started a new podcast, right? I cannot remember the name of it. It's called, like, The Everything Show or something like that, where he talks about, like, a bunch of shit. I haven't listened to it, but didn't he, like, just start a new show? Dude, I gotta say, it's really tough to keep up with Carlos because that guy <laughs> has more energy than I don't know what. It's like, every time I talk to him, he's got some cool new project going. I mean, he was, uh, he had, like, a TV show that was on, well, you know, like, an internet TV show that he was doing for a while, and I do believe you're correct. I think he just started a brand new podcast. Before that, he had like more of a comedy commentary podcast where he was doing different characters. I mean, dude, the dude is like crazy uh, creative and productive. He's always working on something new. So, I mean, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it. I, I cannot keep up with Carlos. I don't know what he's doing right now, um, but I'm sure it's different than what he was doing yesterday. The dude is just like endless, endless energy. Indeed. And uh, while you were speaking, just said, I made a quick check to Twitter to um, look up and he does. It's called the um, A Lot of Things podcast. So listeners, if you're interested in hearing about Carlos, which we've talked about a handful of times on the show, if you have listened to the Video Game Break show uh, before, because Brad, you used to guest on the Video Game Break show a ton. And if you want a little bit more of Carlos, um, it is called A Lot of Things podcast. So check that out look it up and maybe you can find it and see what Carlos is up to now. Yeah, go for it. Check him out. Carlos is a good guy. Uh, real, uh, good sense of humor. He's a, he's a, a great podcaster. So check him out. And, uh, you can always go back and check out some of the old video game break episodes where uh, I was on and Corey, you were on one also. So if you need more of us, you can dig that up somewhere. 
<laughs> Indeed. Uh, I only guessed it once on Video Game Break, but you have like several. You were on like almost every episode with him, right? For a while, I was the the, de- the default guy, but I think that is, um, well, I mean, of course, I'm awesome. So, I mean, that goes without <laughs> saying, but we also live very close together, like geographically. Uh, we're both satellites. And so I think it was just really convenient. Carlos loves to do in-person podcasting. And of course, since I'm in Seattle and you are in New Orleans, uh, we're doing this over the internet. But yeah, Carlos loves to do it in person. And so since I was so close um, and we got along so well, it just ended up um, being a good fit. But yeah, I haven't seen him for a while. Hopefully we'll get together and we'll do something, uh, all three of us. That would be really fun. Indeed, Carlos is a good guy. And he d- he does a very good job of balancing out, like... Because you and I are, like we've talked about on the show before, we're very, like, particular. We have very particular tastes about games, about movies, about anything, really. And we tend to be a little bit harsher and a little bit more, like, demanding about, like, the kinds of games that we play. But the cool thing about Carlos is that he is not as critical about stuff as we are. Um, and I mean that as a compliment. And he he's very open to everything and he generally tends to enjoy stuff more than you and I do, which sounds kind of terrible for us. But uh, so he, he, pr- he produces a nice like balance of like critical um, sort of like uh, like nuanced uh, criticism instead. And he, he just tends to like things. He likes things. I wish that I could like things as much as he likes things, but sadly my brain just does not let me do that. Yeah. He's definitely Mr. Positive, which is cool. It's great to have somebody who's spreading so much, uh, love and energy into the atmosphere, into the whole universe actually. So yeah, he's definitely (laughs) on that side of things, which is great. I think it's great to have that because, um, you know, not, not to say that we are like this, but you know, it's pretty easy to fall into, um, cycles of negativity i think that we try to to um, balance that out ourselves i mean we definitely have our 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 critiques but i think we also like a lot of stuff and hopefully that comes through but carlos is definitely all about like love and stuff and and i mean that in a very positive way like you said it's not a criticism at all i think it's great that he's able to uh bring a happy spin to things so he's a great guy indeed indeed well um i didn't really mean to like launch us into banter early but uh i assume we did not want to talk about carlos as much as he would love that for our entire banter section so tell me what else you've been up to brad (laughs) all right well fair warning to people um if they haven't already fast forwarded by now (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh i haven't been playing a lot because i've been pretty busy with other things which i'm just about to talk about so I think uh, most of my content tonight is going to be on the non-game side of things. And for some people, that sucks, and I feel for you. So if you want to jump ahead, we'll have uh, timestamps in the notes. Corey does an awesome job of that. So feel free, if you haven't already, to just jump ahead to the game chat. Uh, it's going to be a light week, but we'll come back. We'll come back strong. We'll come back with uh, <laughs> the gameplay of 10 men next time. Oh, jeez. Uh, but kind of, okay, so eight, maybe seven. <laughs> Uh, uh, but what I've been doing I've been working a lot and then also this past weekend one reason I haven't had time to play anything is that we had a family reunion um, for my wife's side of the family great folks uh, but I gotta be honest I I hate doing it I fucking hate it Um, not because they're bad people they're great people but it's like excuse me okay let me let me just back it up a little bit so People, I, I think my take on, on vacations is maybe a little bit different than most people's. And Corey, I would love to get your feedback on this once I lay out my case here. Um, so for me, I don't like, take. I kind of hate taking vacations. Um, and I say that, number one, because I'm a freelancer and I don't have any paid time off. But that's not really the main reason. The main reason is because uh, when I live my life, I like to do things in a way so that my life every day is something that I like. I want I want my life to be a thing that I enjoy. Like, I don't like to... The idea of like having to be 
tied down to something that I don't like or to have this drudge work every day or just to be unhappy every day. I feel like a lot of my friends take vacations to kind of escape their real life because they don't like where they're at. But for me, it's kind of the opposite because I've made a lot of really hard choices. I've made some, uh, you know, I've done some things, you know, it's, it has not been an easy road, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of, um, you know, sucking it up here and there and just, you know, trudging through things in initially, but eventually I've kind of rearranged things to where like my life, my regular day to day life, like I love it. Like I love my life. I love where I live. I love my family. I love what I do every day. Like that's, it's like, I'm exactly where I want to be. And so like, whenever somebody's like, oh, let's go on vacation. I'm like, no, I don't want to go on vacation because I'm already where I want to be. <laughs> Anywhere you take me is going to be worse than where I'm at because I don't, you know, sand is great. Beaches are great. Uh, trying new food is great. But like, honestly, I just, I just love where I'm at. Like I'm really happy where I'm at. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to say this to brag or, you know, sound like I'm superior or anything, but it's like, you know, it's been a really hard road to get where I'm at. I've, you know, a lot of terrible shit has happened, but, you know, I powered through. And I have ended up in a place where I really like to be and I don't like to leave. And when ugh, we give these fucking family reunions, I'm like, oh, God, like, <laughs> can't we just have dinner? Can't we just come over for like two hours and then go back to where you are? Because I don't want to go. But we went. It was, um, quote unquote, very nice. Uh, Gina's family usually uh, Gina's my wife, in case uh, listeners don't know. Uh, Gina's wife usually rents like some beach house or something somewhere Um and then we just like stay for a day or two and we just have barbecue and hang out and take pictures and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's fine. I don't I, I don't mean to sound negative um, because they're great folks and it's, you know, it's it's OK. But for me, it's just like, oh, my God, I would just rather be home doing that. So what, what about you, Corey? Do you, do you I, I know you're not a big vacationer, but do you take a vacation to get away from your life or do you take a vacation to see something you want to see or you do just generally don't take much vacation? Where's your stance? Where do you, where do you land on this? Uh, well, I mean, I don't really take a whole lot of vacations, um, but I mean, right now I don't really have a life, so a vacation kind of gives me some life, um, but I tend to take vacations to, I mean, it's either like to see people or to do things. Like last year, whenever I went to Seattle, it was my second time in Seattle, though the last time I was there was like three years prior, and I remember that whole trip uh, going to Seattle because I, I got to see you and your family and I got to see a bunch of other people that I knew, uh, mostly from Twitter that I had met on Twitter and then met in real life when I was there like three years ago and then got to like kind of re-hang out with uh, last year when I was there. I remember the whole theme of my Seattle trip last year was basically just like, I, I don't really care what we're doing. Like, I just want to see you guys. So it was just really nice to be able to see like, you know, you guys and to see like Steve and Chris and Mark and like, uh, and like, uh, Brian, a couple friends of mine that I stayed with and my, a friend from college, Justin. And, uh, like, I didn't really care moment to moment what I was doing. I was just caring more about like the people that I was around and being able to see people and just spend time with them and, you know, kind of share like, you know, hours of my day with them and that kind of thing. It sounds kind of silly, but that's very much how I treated that vacation. But I mean, if I'm going somewhere for the first time, like like New York, for example, where I just was, um, I, uh, I mean, I certainly, there's like things that I want to do, but I'm not one of those vacationers where like before I leave, I make a list of like, where I want to be every hour of every day. And like, I have to be at this museum at noon and then this museum at three, and then I need to have lunch here and then dinner here. Like I just, like when Patrick and I went to New York, we made like a very broad list of like, okay, here's like 10 things that we for sure want to do. And then when we get there, we'll just kind of figure out when we want to do them and we'll do it that way. Um, so, I mean, I definitely take vacations to like, you know, experience new things and sort of like 
escape, but I don't like, I, I'm not really in like a super, um, like dreadful place in my life right now because I'm not working. So that automatically makes my life like kind of better because I used to work, you know, 40, uh, 40 or so hours a week, um, you know, in retail, retail management. And that was definitely like the weird thing about working. Like whenever I worked at Target, I actually went on vacation to Seattle while I was still working at Target. And, um, the weird thing about, um, like having a job like that, and I feel like you and I will be able to connect on this, um, is like whenever I'm, especially if you're in a management role and you're like in charge of things and you have to do shit and you're not just kind of the person that comes in and like puts in your, you know, eight hours and leaves. I was like, I stress out about taking vacations whenever I used to work because I would wonder about all the shit that was going to go wrong whenever I was away from the building and whenever I was on vacation. Um, and so it was like, I mean, it's a relief to go on vacation, but at the same time, like I wanted to maintain control over the work that I was doing and I wanted to make sure everything was going to be okay. And I just knew, you know, in my heart that the target building I worked at was going to go up in flames while I was gone because I wasn't there, even though that's not true at all. But, um, do you feel that way about vacations, like about not being able to work or not being able to be in control of like, um, like that kind of thing while you're gone? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the huge reasons also why I don't like to go. I mean, you know, being a freelancer is like everything is on my shoulders. So like if an invoice doesn't get sent out, then that's on me. Or if something, you know, some paperwork doesn't get done or someone doesn't get a call back or something doesn't get filled, like it's it's my fault. Like it's like there's no one else to blame but me because it's my business. So that is like a huge thing where I don't it's like there's so many balls that I'm juggling at the same time. Taking a vacation feels like I'm throwing the balls all really high up in the air and hoping that I'm going to be. <laughs> in the right position when I come back. And I hate that feeling. <laughs> it's just so precarious. Um, and the same thing for game critics too, is like, I mean, I love working at the website. I love writing reviews and um, editing reviews and getting new content up. I just, I just take great pleasure in it. And so when I'm not around, um, you know, I'm just like, Oh man, we need some fresh content up at the side. And Oh, I got to get back to this PR person about so-and-so game. And Oh, this offer came in and I got to get back to these guys. And it's just, there's so much going on. Um, but it's all good. Like, I love it. Like, it's really busy and it's a lot of responsibility and it's just, it takes up a lot of time, but I really enjoy doing it. Like, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like if I take some fucking vacation somewhere where I don't really want to be in the first place, you know, shit's going to, you know, I mean, I think I don't think Game Critics is going to be on fire. I mean, first off, because it's on the <laughs> Internet, that'd be really weird. Um, but yeah, I feel like shit's going to fall apart if I'm if I'm gone. And um I know that some people are like, oh, you know, don't be so egocentric and that's, it's not all about you and, you know, the world doesn't revolve around you. But fuck it, sometimes it fucking does, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that Target, like, you know, took a downturn when you weren't there and if I'm not around to take care of certain things, I know that shit goes south. I know it does because I clean up the mess when I come back. So, yeah, I'm not, um, I just, I just like where I am. I don't want to get away from my life. I don't want to be away from stuff and I don't like taking vacations. So that took... That took uh, a big chunk out of my week this week, which is why I don't have a whole lot of gaming stuff to talk about. But while I was on my quote-unquote vacation, um, we did have some downtime because we were just like in this cabin somewhere. And we brought a laptop and they had Wi-Fi, thank God. <laughs> um, and so we got to watch a bunch of TV and movies, which I would actually like to share if you don't mind. No, I don't mind at all. Let's talk about it. All right, so for for whatever reason, my wife uh, my wife is like half and half on horror movies. I like horror movies. I'm not like a horror you know maven. Like I'm not cra I'm not. That's not the only thing I watch. But I I enjoy horror movies, 
And my wife is about half and half. If I catch her in a good mood, she's down. But sometimes she's like, eh, not in the mood, which is fine. But for some reason, she was like, she was down. She was down for the horror this weekend, which was great because I was also in the mood for that. So we watched a couple. The first one I watched is called Hush. Have you heard of this one? Have you seen it? Is this... uh, Okay, there's two movies I'm thinking of. Tell me which one it is. Is it the one where the woman, the blind woman lives in the house and somebody breaks in? Or is it the one where the kids break into the blind guy's house and try to steal his shit? Is it either it, of those? It is neither of those, but you're oh, so close. You're, uh. <laughs> you're <laughs> so close. What am I thinking of? I know, uh. the one, I know the one with the, the blind woman. I've actually seen that one. And I have not seen the one with the kids that break in. I heard that was a good one. I don't know what that one's called, but I know what you're talking about. No, this is a different one. Ah, shit. Uh, okay. <laughs> no worries. This one is about a deaf woman. So you were close with the disability angle. This is about a deaf woman. Uh, she's also mute, uh, who lives out in the woods. And um, she is uh, discovered by this killer. It, it, basically, this killer kills somebody at the house next door to her. It's not next door. It's like the nearest, the nearest cabin near hers. Like he kills somebody over there. And then he stumbles upon her cabin and he quickly realizes that she's deaf. She cannot hear anything. Uh, So he starts this plan where he's going to like taunt her for like hours before finally coming and killing her. And at first she doesn't even know he's there because, um, you know, he's like tapping on the windows and trying to scare her. But she's not looking in the right direction and she can't hear anything. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing for a while. And then after she finally realizes he's out there... She flips out, and then, you know, hijinks ensue. I don't want to give the whole movie away in case anybody wants to watch it. It's on Netflix right now. Um, but, yeah, that was that was that kind of the gist of it. So uh, this was actually my wife's pick, which was fine. We checked it out. And I got to say, it was, it was okay. It, it was a real missed opportunity. I think, first off, it was really missed because they didn't really commit to the uh, main character being deaf. Now, I have a lot of experience with deafness. I work with people with disabilities all the time. So I know quite a bit about deafness. And I knew right off from the, from the start that the actress wasn't actually deaf, which was kind of a bummer to me because I think that deaf people, when they actually act, they really bring an extra element. Um, I don't know if everybody can pick up on this, but like working with deaf people as much as I do, I can really appreciate the nuances and the performances that they give. I think it's really powerful when it's done right with a good director. So I could tell right off the bat that she wasn't deaf, which was a bummer. I think there's a lot of really great deaf actors out there that are just Hollywood just completely ignores. So that kind of sucked. Um, also, I thought it would have been really interesting if the director had like showed more footage of like no sound, like if if the if the viewers had been in the role of the lady. But he did it for like five seconds, and then the rest of the movie was just like you know you could hear the killer creeping around and you could hear the sounds and stuff. And I know that's a challenge because when you take sound away from horror, all of a sudden it's not scary. But I think in this particular case, um, it, you know maybe just for a few sequences here and there, I think it would have been pretty powerful to show the character's, um, you know, lack of environmental awareness because of that missing uh, sense. So that was kind of a bummer. Uh, there was also just some spots where just, you know, not a lot was going on. And, uh, you know, one of those one of those things where, like, you kind of shout at the screen where you're like, what are you doing? And But not in a good way, like, not in a fun <laughs> Friday the 13th way, just in a, like, oh, my God, like, what? And uh. So it was not, it was not great. But it was okay. So um, you haven't seen this one. Is this interesting to you, Corey? Do you watch a lot of horror? You know, I don't. Whenever I was younger, I was a big fan of like, uh, like the Halloween movies were probably the kind of horror that I was really into. And I remember as I got a little bit older, I would watch more horror movies. And 
they either weren't scary or it was just like like a gore fest and like that's not really what I'm into so I feel like I just kind of stopped watching horror movies like quite a few years ago the last horror movie I watched was It Follows which I watched about two years ago maybe a year and a half ago um but before that it had been a very solid gap in my life before I had seen like between seeing a horror movie and It Follows if I uh, remember correctly Excellent, excellent, excellent. That is incredibly fortuitous that you mentioned that because uh, I do, I, I don't really strongly recommend this one. But if you're in the mood for something like this, it's it's interesting, um, and it's not very gory. I mean, there's a couple scenes, but it's not like a splatter fest or anything like that. But the movie that I selected was It Follows. Uh. Oddly enough, so good timing. Let's talk about this. I'll give the recap, and then we'll ask you, and we'll just we'll just have a little talk about this. Um, it follows. I selected this because I remember it getting a lot of awards and being very like critically notable the year that it came out. I think it came out like about two, three years ago or something like that. I don't know. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that's. I think that's about right. Something like that. So I didn't know very much about it, but I knew that everybody who had seen it and that also that I talked to on Twitter was like raving about it. They really liked it a lot. It was good film. You know, recommendation, recommendation, recommendation. So I'm like, okay, it's it's on Netflix. Let's watch it. We got some time, so we watched it. Basically, the gist of it is it's set in a really weird time period. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, but it has a very strong 80s vibe to it, um, not only because of the visuals, but also because of the soundtrack, although it is it is ambiguous as to exactly what time period it's supposed to be in. I found that to be a little distracting. But the story is basically um, these kids, uh, and God, they, they look like kids to me. I mean, I know I'm old, man, but like these, like, the, the main the main chick in that movie, she looked like she was 12. It was really skeeving me out. So these kids have sex, and it turns out that there's like this monster that chases you, oh, that doesn't chase, that walks, that follows you, and it kills you if it gets to you. So the only way to get it away from you is to have sex with somebody else and like kind of like pass those cooties on so that the monster starts going after that person. And if that person gets killed, then they come back to you. So apparently the idea is to like have sex and then keep having a bunch of sex so that the monster gets further and further like <laughs> away from you. Um, I didn't know anything going into it. And I had this, this maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought people had told me it was like funny or that it was like more of a winky thing than it kind of was. It was a very serious movie, like really serious. And the actors I felt like were very just bland and almost comatose at times. Um, I didn't like the performances very much. And I thought that there was a lot of dead space in the movie where just nothing was really going on. Um, and the thing that the biggest takeaway for me, though, was like this totally reminded me of Stranger Things, like hardcore. Like I, I watched Stranger Things when it came out on Netflix. Um, same thing, like same group of like misfit kids, same visual style um, with like, you know, flannel shirts and kind of like weird 80s vibe. Same kind of like synth heavy soundtrack. I mean... It, it seemed very, very much like Stranger Things, the movie, and I really did not like Stranger Things. I thought it was massively overrated. So we start watching It Follows, and I'm like, oh, God, this is just like Stranger <laughs> Things again. Um, it was okay. The, the concept was interesting, and when the just the idea of something slowly walking towards you at all times was really kind of weird and kind of creeped me out. But the movie, like, it didn't seem like it knew where it wanted to go. It ended on, like, a total, like so fucking what note like it didn't didn't have a big finish and i just it never really built to a good crescendo for me like i kept waiting for it to get good and it never really got good so what what do you what did you think Corey? i know this was very critically acclaimed what's your take on it 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I kind of feel the same way you did. Um, because I watched this movie because basically every, like you said, everybody and their mother was like, oh, this is the best horror movie ever. Like, this is so interesting and it's so, you know, well thought out. And and so I ended up, I bought it actually because I was at work one day and it was on sale. The Blu-ray was on sale for like five or 10 bucks. And I was like, well, sure, I've been meaning to see this. Like, I'll pick it up on sale and I'll buy it. And I don't regret buying it um, by any means, but I watched it. And I mean, yeah, it's just like, it's just like okay like it, i mean it's like good average to good but it's not um it's not i don't think it's as amazing as everybody else said it was the thing that i like a lot about it is that it is very similar to uh the halloween movies which is good for me because it could sort of like play upon that nostalgia for me because there's a lot of i mean if you if anybody's familiar with the halloween movies you know michael myers is the killer and he's not like a fast predator, you know, he, he just walks everywhere. Like he, he walks, uh, you know, toward, uh, Laurie Strode or Jamie Lee Curtis plays her, um, you know, any sequence where they're trying to get away from him, he's just walking. He's not like running, he's not, you know, jumping or anything. And so this movie definitely, uh, kind of uses a lot of the same. It, it takes a heavy, very heavy inspiration from Halloween. Um, you know, it's, a uh, a young woman protagonist, um, the the killer walks. Although uh, it's important to note that, and it follows the the uh, uh, enemy, I guess, if you will, the it that's following the people. It kind of like can pass from person to person. So like, in one scene, it might be a really gross like old lady following the person, and then in the next scene, it might be like a little kid that's following. And then, it, but you always just know when you see that person because they have like a dead look in their eyes and they're just walking. So that's kind of an interesting thing because like, you never quite know who like the person is that's going to be you know sort of taking in the role of like antagonist and following them around. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just okay. It it did have a lot of dead time. Um, it kind of didn't have a very natural ebb and flow, um, but it did have some uh, some very interesting sequences. Like some of the really suspenseful sequences were like one of the characters is maybe trapped or sort of backed into a corner and trying to find a way out as like the it that's following uh, him or her is trying to like get into the space that they're in. Like some of those scenes are really well done, but um. Uh, it's important to note that this movie did come before Stranger Things, so um, any inspiration that Stranger Things took from it, uh, it definitely came later, uh, Stranger Things did. But um, I remember very clearly the first time, I, I've only seen this movie once, but the first time and only time I watched it, um, like the very first scene of the movie is like, on like kind of in kind of like a cul-de-sac like a residential street and there's like a young woman who is not she's only in the movie for like five minutes and she like there's like a wide shot on her front door and she like runs out the front door and is screaming and is like running around the neighborhood because the thing is trying to get her and she's like trying to get away from it and she's wearing fucking red high heels. <laughs> yeah. And it's literally the first scene of the movie. And she's like trying to get away from this fucking thing. And she's running around in fucking stilettos. And I was like, it, it was like the worst way to start off a believable horror film. Because stuff like that is the thing that like trips my, um, my suspension of disbelief like really, really hard hard because if she really wanted to get away from that thing she would not have been running around in fucking six inch stiletto high heels and it's just like it's one of those things where you can tell like all right this was written and directed by a man because if a woman had directed this she would not have put that chick in six inch stiletto heels and have her running away from a fucking 
like uh, like evil entity. And so like from the first scene of the movie, I was immediately annoyed with it. And I mean, it definitely, you know, gets better and gets worse and gets better and gets worse. Like, you know, it kind of has its ups and downs, but like that is not where you want to start your movie off. And something that trips my suspension of disbelief so hard that I start off on a very, very low note for you. Oh, that's totally funny because me and my wife both looked at each other. We're like, oh, please. Like, it was so dumb. <laughs> and they, I mean, it's, I just couldn't get over how young the kids looked in that movie. I mean, I'm sure they're probably Hollywood actors. They're all probably 25 or something. But, like, they look really, really, really young. And I just thought it was really weird. I mean, I almost wish the movie had been, like, something other than what it was because it just was so kind of spacey and weird and moody in some places where I felt like it's, I mean, apart from the high heels, it just wasn't really believable in some aspects. Like, there's this one part where... Uh, the main character who's being chased gets scared. She steals a car. She drives out to the woods. And then she, like, parks the car in the middle of the woods. So she's surrounded by woods on all sides. And then she goes to sleep on the hood of the car. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this? Like, I don't... This does not compute at all. What is going on? So it was just really weird. It was... I mean, it wasn't like an art house movie. But it just... It definitely had that vibe of, like, maybe not quite as tight or as tuned as it should have been. And I was almost wishing it was more of a sexploitation comedy or just something that was more like same idea, but just tweak it. So it's a little bit more peppier and more, um, and it just had more, more, more zip to it. It just felt very lethargic to me. So I was kind of disappointed and I really didn't see, um, what all the critical acclaim was for. And yeah, I do agree with you. Stranger Things came afterwards and Stranger Things stole everything from everybody. So this is probably just one more <laughs> thing they stole. I have like zero respect for that series. So, um, one, uh, a couple more things and then I'll turn it over to you, sir. Um, one more thing that we watched was the Castlevania adaptation on Netflix. Have you heard of this or have you seen it? Oh my god, I put it on my Netflix queue yesterday. I am very, very excited to watch this. I have not watched it yet, but it is like waiting. It's sitting there. It's in my queue. I don't think this is the kind of thing that Patrick is going to watch with me, so I'll just have to like sit down and watch it on my own, but I am... I'm ready for it, Brad. So in a very light, light treading on the topic, tell me about it. Oh my god, it was badass, dude. Uh, it was it was so good. It was so good. I was shocked because I was ready for it to be horrible. Um, you know, I mean Castlevania, how is that becoming a TV show? That doesn't make any sense. Like, what's going on with that? And it's like a cartoon. I was like, oh man, like, uh, okay. I mean, I know Netflix has a pretty good series with or track, you know, track record with their series. Uh, but I was ready to watch the first episode. I was like, oh, you know, I can watch it, I'll talk about it on the show uh game related etc cetera, etc cetera. and i watched it and i'm like oh my god this is like so good like it was really good <laughs> i i was sitting there with my jaw hanging open the whole time thinking the writing was amazing i mean it's done by uh warren ellis i believe who's a phenomenal writer i had no idea he was working on it um the voice acting was all really good i mean the script was great i was like oh my god like my wife doesn't watch uh anything that's even vaguely anime she's got fucking like negative tolerance she is aggressive <laughs> towards anime <laughs> And I thought for sure she would just, like, take off as soon as I put it on. But she watched the first five minutes. She's like, oh, okay, I'll check this out. And I'm like, oh, shit. If the <laughs> wife is watching it, then I then I know it's good. It's not just my imagination, right? So all three of us watched it. Um, although I, I do want to give PSA, not appropriate for kids. I feel a little bit regretful about watching the whole thing with my son. Oh, uh, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit gory, uh, a little bit salty language. And some of the themes were pretty heavy. Um, in general, I watched things uh, before I let my son watch them, but we were all just like really tired from the trip and we just wanted to, to watch something and zone out. And I really wanted to watch this. So I kind of let it slide this time and it, it bit me. This is exactly <laughs> why this is exactly why we do parental guidance in my house. Perfect example of why. But 
So parents, don't just watch it with your kids. Watch it first. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. It was so good. The only downside um, is that it's only four episodes. So I watched the whole thing in like less than two hours. And then I was like, oh my God, I want to watch some more of this. Where's the rest? So <laughs> it's coming uh, very soon. They're already working on season two. It was just, it was really, really good. And also, so, I mean, we, I just gushed about this, but for, for those who haven't checked it out, this is very loosely based on um, Castlevania three, Simon's curse. I believe that is no, no, that's not right. That's totally not. Is that Simon's, right? Simon's Quest? No, that's number two. That's Castlevania's Castle Dracula's three? Curse. Dracula's that, Curse. Which one is Bloodlines? That's later. That's is not, that like SNES? Know. Yeah, I, I'm getting my Castlevania. No, this is definitely Castlevania 3. I think it's okay. Dracula's Curse, where you have um, Alucard, Sypha, Belnades, the um, Mage, Trevor, Belmont, and Grant, Dynasty, the Pirate. Uh, that was the one where you could switch between all the characters, and I thought that was so cool. It's one of my favorite Castlevania games. Um, so I thought it was very interesting they chose that one as the basis for the series. They greatly expand. I mean, like, I, I don't know if you played that one or not, but there was not much uh, story in those games back on the NES days. So they took the basic premise, and they just, like, filled in so much. But it was good. Like, it was it was good fill-in. Like, it was very excellent they talk a lot about dracula and his motivations which i thought was also awesome and it was just it was good it was good shit man i didn't think it was going to be good and it was really good shit so i totally recommend that um even to people like myself who don't generally go in for anime and uh and that is me i don't but i thought it was great my wife who fucking hates anime thought it was great my son thought it was amazing because it was violent as fuck and they were swearing a bunch so he loved it um yeah it was good man go watch that shit like right now dude just pause the show go watch it right fucking now <laughs> so okay if it's four episodes is each episode is it 20 or 30 minutes per episode it's like 25 minutes an episode okay okay that's uh that's perfect i'm going to because i like shows that are short like i watch uh like 30 rock the tina fey show i've seen that whole series like three to four times and i love it because like, a 20 to 30 minute episode is just enough to, like, sit down with dinner and watch a short episode and eat it. Whereas, like, I do, I've been watching Star Trek Voyager a ton, too. But, like, Star Trek's, like, 45 to 50 minutes per episode. And I know, like, you'd think, like, oh, that 15 minutes can't really make a difference. But sometimes a 45-minute show really drags on and it seems really long. But, oh, man, I am totally here for, like, 25-minute episodes. Now, ordinarily, I would be absolutely down with you because i find it much easier to watch a half an hour show than an hour show i totally th I, I agree big time like finding the time for all that show doesn't seem like a big deal until you have a bunch of responsibilities or or something going on and then all of a sudden it's really tough but man when you watch these episodes you're gonna be like oh fuck that was way too short like i needed more of that that was that was not good so it's really great it's very rare that i watch a show and i'm like oh my god i wish that was double the length of what it was like i never say that i never say that but this was really good. I I really want to hear your take on this uh, next episode. You'll probably hate it. So let's see. What, no, <laughs> let's see no, no, no. Let's see not. what happens. Let's see what happens. I'm curious, but I thought it was fantastic. I kudos to Netflix for doing this thing, which I thought was impossible. Um, just it's badass. It's really really good. I'm really excited, and I might be wrong about this, but I feel like I heard through the internets that season two is already confirmed to be eight episodes long. Did you hear that? That is, that is correct. So we're okay. going to be getting double the amount, which is great because it was 
just getting started by the time um, the first season was over. And I was like, oh, no, that was not enough. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, one more really quick announcement before uh, I turn it over to you. Just um, I don't think I've talked about this in the show before, but I have talked about it on Twitter. On July 14th, I'm going to be giving away a ton of video games on my Twitter account. Uh, we do this uh, like maybe like two times a year at Game Critics. Like basically what happens is people send us um, review codes and we're just not able to play them all. There's just so many games coming out. We just literally cannot play all the games. And so any game that ends up going um, unreviewed or uncovered, we have the code left over and I just save them up. I save them up. And then when I get a big pile of them, I just jump on Twitter and I just hand them out. So if you are a listener of the show, you, this is your heads up. Come uh, check out my Twitter account. Uh, so I'm the editor of Game Critics and I, I do the uh, giveaway on my account because it's easy for me to manage that. Um, so follow me and uh, jump on Twitter July 14th. It's going to be in the evening time uh, Pacific. And I've got like more than like literally like 100 games to give away. I just am going to give them away. Like I used to ask trivia questions. It's too much work for me to write a question. And then I had people <laughs> who were bitching about that was not the right answer or that's a technicality or, you know, I ended up like refereeing all these questions and it became like this huge bummer. So I just give them away now. Just whoever, whoever wants them, just, just have it. And I've got so many. It takes forever to give them out. So come uh, check it out. July 14th, uh, evening time, Pacific. I'll have more details, uh, but follow me on Twitter and you will uh, find out what's up and you'll be eligible to get these games. And feel free to unfollow me afterwards. Like this isn't a ploy to like gain followers or anything. It's just like, <laughs> I just have to, I have to direct message you the codes. Otherwise people will steal them. So if you follow me, then I can send you a direct message, give you the code and then feel free to unfollow or, you know, follow me if you want to. But this is not about like boosting my ego or anything. It's just simply so I can give you the code. But July 14th, coming up more than 100 games, going to just pass them out like candy. And that is my epic, epic uh, banter. And I'm done. And I'm done. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, gosh, I don't know what to say. Okay. So obviously... I was gonna. I was planning on talking about New York uh, quite a bit for my banter segment, but um, we've already discussed New York, uh, Brad, in our last episode. So, is there anything that I was discussing during my time in New York that you think is pertinent that I should discuss now, or any like thing that you think I should like? Oh, he should probably talk about that because that was interesting because I talked about a lot of random shit on our last episode. I mean, it was, you know, not to shine you on or anything, but I think the whole thing was interesting. I mean, it was all really good chat. It's it's such a bummer that we lost that episode because I thought it was really cool. We had a good transition between the food and the scene and how we looked at time away. And then we, you know, like you said earlier, we segued into home invasions and guns. And it was just, we had a really good chat. I wish that we could just, you know, share that with the, the listeners. I mean, it was all good, but I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe just nutshell what you did and talk about the black ice cream, I suppose. All right. Okay. I'll try to do my best on this. And I have my, I have my list back out of like shit that I can remember that I did. Um, so I was in New York from uh, like, for like four days, I think. And Patrick and I flew out, we went to, we stayed at an Airbnb in the East Village and the Southeast side of the East Village. And this is my first time in New York. So I, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what all I wanted to do, but like I mentioned earlier about vacations, um, Patrick and I had made a very loose list of things that we wanted to do, but we didn't, we're not the kind of people that vacation and make like crazy itineraries about, you know, where we have to be every minute on the minute. So 
Um, we, you know, we went to Times Square. We knew that because Patrick has been to New York a couple times, so a little bit of uh, of it was us finding new things to do. A little bit, a little bit of it was um, him, you know, doing repeat things of stuff that I would definitely want to do. So like. We went to uh, Times Square. Like, that was, you know, definitely something that I wanted to see, something that everybody that goes to New York, I'm sure, for the first time wants to see. Um, we went to the 30 Rockefeller Center building, which is where 30 Rock that I mentioned earlier was taped and where, like, I think it's where, like, SNL, may, maybe. I might have that wrong. But, like, the NBC Nightly News is taped there. Like, a bunch of news broadcasts and stuff were taped there. Um Went to the uh, Nintendo store that's close to Times Square, which is pretty neat. Um, went to Battery Park. Went to the World Trade Center area and the World Trade Center Memorial. We went to Path Station, which is like a new uh, train station and mall that was built right around the World Trade Center area. Um, got a lot of food. Um, gosh, we got uh, like Mexican food. We got cronuts at this fancy bakery. We got... A Shake Shack, which was my first time having a Shake Shack ever, and it was like one of my favorite things I did on the entire trip, which is kind of sad. Um, went to a bunch of, uh, I guess like the Nintendo store falls on this, but like some specialty stores, um, just like some stuff that I'm interested in. Like we went to, I dragged Patrick to a bunch of like makeup stores because I, I don't really talk about this on the show, uh, maybe ever or much, but um, I wear makeup sometimes, like pretty like natural, like minimal makeup, although I do have a few like really colorful insane eyeshadow palettes but i took him to like a kiko store because there's only like 30 stores in the country and most of them are in like california and new york and texas so i wanted to hit that went to ricky's which is like a specialty like uh, hair care skin care makeup store um that was really interesting i wanted to see the apple store there's an apple store there that's like a tw it's 24 hours and it's like a giant cube and you like walk up to it and you like walk down a spiral staircase to go down into the apple store and i was like so excited to see it and we went there and it's under fucking construction for like another year and a half so like the cube wasn't even up they had like all the apple store stuff like transitioned to a different building that's next to it so that was kind of a bummer um but, uh, gosh, um, I don't know. What else should I say, Brad? That's, like, all the stuff I can think about. We went to the Museum of Modern Art. We went to the Guggenheim Museum, Central Park. Um, I don't know. What else? What else, Brad? God, I don't know. It's like it's like we had this whole conversation, so I'm trying to, like... <laughs> it's like I feel like we've already talked about it, and we have. We had a great chat, but, like, I know that nobody has heard that except for us. And so I'm trying to, like, oh, what was the best... I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what's the best part. I mean... I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just lost, lost in ages. But it sounded, I mean, it sounded like a good trip. And uh, Times Square was overrated. You had black ice cream that was not worth standing in line an hour for. Oh yeah, I should probably talk about that too. Yeah, talk about that because that was I thought was kind of an interesting, interesting black okay. ice cream. So we went to Patrick. So there's like, and you know, people might know what I'm talking about whenever I say this, but there's like this trend right now, this like social media trend about like black ice cream, and it's literally like ice cream that's like pitch black and it like looks black it like comes out of the soft serve machine looking black or scooped looking black and patrick like really really wanted this black ice cream because there's a place in new york that does it i think there's only like a handful of places in the country that probably do it i don't know what's so special about it like i don't know if they do something special to make it black or if it's like hard to get and only like specialty places can get it or something like that but we went to this freaking ice cream place and waited in line for literally because i timed it an hour and six minutes to get 
this ice cream. And this place had other ice cream flavors too. It was a very like small specialty kind of old timey like ice cream boutique. And they had a lot of cool uh, flavors. Like they had like a, like rhubarb something and they had like a, like a whiskey honey or something like that. And they just had some unusual flavors, which is cool. But, um, I was really, really tired the whole time I was in New York because I am a little baby and it was hot and I was hot and I was sweaty and my feet were killing me the whole time I was there because we were walking like like 12 hours a day almost every day and I bought really bad shoes to walk around in because I'm not smart. And so we stood outside. With these high heel stilettos, just like from It Follows. <laughs> yes, I went to some specialty uh, drag queen shoe stores and bought some platform high heels and wore those around the whole time <laughs> and ran from sexual entities on the streets of New York while I was there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I just took, I took like a pair of Toms and a pair of Vans and it was like the worst decision. I actually ended up buying a pair of, uh, uh, they're called Onitsuka Tigers, uh, which is like an off brand of Asics, like one of their sub brands. I ended up buying a pair of Tigers there because my feet hurt so bad. I like had to find a more comfortable shoe. Um, but we stood in line for this ice cream and Patrick got it and he liked it and it was really excited. It was, it was like coconut ash flavored. And I don't know if like the ash had a flavor, probably not, but it was just like, I mean, first of all, it was waiting an hour for the ice cream. And second of all, it was coconut flavored and coconut is gross. So like it's not even worth it to stand in line um, that much. So I didn't even end up ordering anything at the ice cream place because I was so mad about standing in line for so long that when we got to the counter, Patrick was like, do you know what you want? And I was like, I'm not getting anything. Like, I'm not giving these people my money because we stood in line for an hour. And because people that were in line, like by the time they got to the front of the line, it was one of those stupid things where everybody like wanted to like get like a tester of every single flavor before they tried it. And like, I could understand if like, the place wasn't busy, but I feel like if you have a line of like 50 people out the door standing outside in 90 degree weather in New York, you need to be like, hey, we're not going to let you guys test 15 different ice cream flavors while you're waiting in line because there's like 50 people behind you that are waiting. But whatever, like obviously that ice cream place does not need, you know, they, they don't care. They're making plenty of money if people are willing to stand in line for that. But um, yeah, that was... Uh, that was not fun for me, but I understand why Patrick wanted to stand in line for it because it's like interesting and cool, but it was just very silly for me, I guess. And Times Square, while we're on the subject of things that are overrated, Times Square was cool for like 10 minutes. Like you get out there and it's like bright and there's like a ton of people and it's like, you know, I mean, it's it's Times Square. It's like lit up and it's like, you know, there's so many people there, so many different um, so many different races, you know, uh, you know, ethnicities. And it's just cool to see like all of those people gathered. And that's one thing that I really liked about New York is how like multicultural it was. But after being in Times Square for about 10 minutes, I was like, OK, like it's just ads like it's just big, bright ads. And like that the seems like a very uh big theme with going to New York is that the whole city is so like it's just like such a consumerism city like like I feel like every square inch of New York is like ad space like there's ads everywhere and like I understand you know that that's just like America you know like capitalist America but it's just bananas whenever like you can't look anywhere without seeing an ad for something in New York or in uh, and Times Square is just like the mecca of that because literally all it is is just giant bright ads and I mean it's cool like you know it's it's a spectacle it's cool to look at um but what, what was more inspiring than that itself was actually seeing other people get excited about it because um there's so many people there and you know like New York is the kind of place you know they say like you know if you make it new to New York you can make it anywhere or something like that and it was just really cool to see everybody else get really excited about it and I think that's what I thought was really cool was like 
seeing all the different people, like, you know, speaking all these different languages around me, just like being really excited about being in New York and about being in the streets and about, you know, seeing all these things, you know, because New York is one of like those cities, you know, the big, big cities in the world that everybody wants to go to and everybody wants to, you know, experience once. And I feel like that was my big, probably my biggest takeaway was like, just seeing how like inspirational it was for other people and seeing how they were inspired by the city and how excited they were to be there. I just felt like, I don't know, it was just really kind of special, I guess. Oh, that sounds excellent. I have never been to New York, but uh, it's on my list of places to go. Not at the top, but it's up, uh, you know, it's in the top half, I guess. And uh, <laughs> I do like coconut, so maybe I would like that ice cream a little bit more. Although I will say, to be fair, I would never wait an hour for anything. I don't wait an hour for anything. <laughs> I'll wait like five minutes. I'll wait 15 minutes is like the most I'll wait. But if it's not, it's not that soon, there's a billion other places to go. And ice cream is ice cream. I mean, I'm sure it's delicious, but I, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen with me. So, uh, you know, uh, kudos to you for uh, being supportive uh, partner and standing that line with him. I would have been like, nope, we're going, we're not going to do this. So. <laughs> yeah. He kept telling me he was like, he was like, well, you can go like do something while, you know, you don't have to be standing here with me. And then the thought in my head was like, but then I'm just going to have to walk more and my feet are going to hurt even more. So I like, I was being such a baby, like I didn't even want to go do anything. So I just stood there and, and pouted like a little kid. Well, do you think you would, uh, did you like it enough to go back? Or do you think now that you've been once, you think you've had your fill in New York and you would, you would move on to something else next time? Um, I feel like I would move on to something else because like... I mean, obviously, New York is huge, and I'm sure I explored about a total of about, you know, 15% of it while I was there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of places I visit where, like, you know, like, for example, when I was out to Seattle last year and, like, the three years before, because um, I think it's kind of passe to take vacations to the same spots over and over again. But, you know, I went to Seattle twice. But it's really a testament to, like, A, how many people I know in Seattle that I really enjoy being around, and B, um, just how much I love the city in general. And, like, Seattle is the kind of place where I, I come back from Seattle and I immediately think, like, man, I'd really like to live there. I would love to, you know, be in that area, be around those people, be able to see them regularly. But going to New York, like, I don't really feel like I would ever want to live there. I mean, not to mention, like, you know, the rent is, like, it's, like, one of the highest, you know, most expensive places to live in the country. But, I mean, it's fine. I probably wouldn't go back unless I had a very specific reason to go back. And I didn't leave New York thinking that I would, like, you know, like, oh, man, I'd really like to live here. Um, but, I mean, it's fine. I don't want to, like, shit talk on New York. But it's just, like it's fine to experience, but unless, you know, I had like a job there and was like steady, then I probably wouldn't want to go back or live there. I don't think. No, that makes sense. I mean, I don't think you're shit talking it, but I think it definitely kind of tells a lot about, you know, a person and about what they like and don't like, uh, when they go to like a vacation and, you know, whether you think, Oh my God, I want to, you know, I want to live here. I want to come back. I like the next vacation. We're coming back here. Or if it's like, okay, this is fine and I'm leaving. So yeah, I mean, I haven't gone on a million vacations, but it's very rare that I go to a place and I'm like, oh my God, like I want to come back or, oh my God, I want to live here. Like I usually am just like, eh, I'm ready to go back home. <laughs> so yeah, I hear you. But uh, well, it sounds like a good trip. I, I'm really sorry that the listeners are not going to get to listen to the lost episode. You went into much greater detail and you had a lot more um, interesting anecdotes and stuff to say, but uh, you know, lost episode, sad trombone, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to say before we transition to games, dude? Any little last tidbits? Uh, I guess one very small anecdote. I don't even think I mentioned this on the last show, but I, uh, but I meant to, I, you'll probably find this interesting is that we stayed at an Airbnb and 
the guy's apartment. It was like this tiny little one. It, I was going to say one bedroom, but it was just a little studio apartment. It was very cute and it was like decorated to a T, but it was decorated so much that you, I mean, you know, you can get a sense of what you think the, a person is like by, you know, visiting their house and visiting their space and seeing what they keep in their space. And this guy kind of seemed like he would have been like a hipster douche. And in his bathroom above his toilet, he had like a little tray with like a matchbox in it and like cologne. And then there was a picture of a naked woman laying across a bed, like talking on her phone. And it kind of looked like she was masturbating. Like she had her hand kind of like on her like vaginal area. And I, I mean, like, I don't want to say anything bad about, uh, you know, like a woman's body because like there's a, there's a very big presence of, uh, uh, misogyny in the gay community and I don't want to I don't want to you know put anything on that like I'm not going to be like oh her vagina oh it's gross like because I mean whatever like it's it's her it's her body it's a woman's body and it was a stylized picture it wasn't like a picture that he snapped you know on his bed or something um, it, it looked very much kind of like a 1950s like pinup almost kind of picture but every time I went in there to pee I was just like all right I get to look at this picture of this naked woman talking on the phone and masturbating every time I'm in here peeing and it was just like, I feel like it said a lot about him that like that was above his toilet and there was like a picture of a woman like washing her hair next to his sink and there was like a, a very small bust of like a woman's body like up on a shelf above his bed and I don't know, it was just very interesting decor. It was a very cool apartment but some of the decor I was just like, man, you kind of seem like a douchebag. Hmm. I like women uh, just fine, and I don't think that I would have a picture of a lady diddling herself above my toilet or anything. I mean, that would be kind of weird. I don't think I would, don't think I would do that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was a bachelor or something. Because like, I don't know if I ever told this, but like, when I when I moved out of my apartment, um, I think I think we must have talked about this at some point. When I moved to my first apartment on my own, like it was like a mark of like independence where I could have like porn stuff like laying around and not have to hide it or anything. <laughs> Because it's my fucking apartment, I can do what I want, and I got over it like in a week. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna put this away, you know. Like it's, it's just, it just was weird. Um, so maybe this guy is just endlessly trapped in that that state of like, oh, I'm independent and I can have naked chicks in my apartment if I want to. And <laughs> who knows, who knows? But I definitely wouldn't do. I definitely wouldn't do that. So anyway, um, yeah, I guess uh, ending the story on naked chicks is probably a good place to wrap it. You want to move on and talk about some games, maybe? Uh, sure. Let's, uh, let's move on to game talk. We're like about an hour in my computer shows no signs of shutting off or not charging or anything. So let's press on to video games. Right on, right on. I'm going to talk about, uh, the, the only new thing I have to talk about this week. Um, it's called Cryptark, C-R-Y-P-T-A-R-K, Cryptark. And thank you, sir, for getting these awesome notes ready here. Uh, it's p developed and published by Alien Trap Games, launched on PC, PS4 on June 20th. So pretty, pretty recent. I actually saw this one for the very first time at PAX. I want to say it was last year, possibly two years ago. I think it was last year. Um, this is a roguelike. So I know this is right up your alley. Oh, oh dear. Wow. Uh, you play a group of pirates I mean, you're just one pirate but you're with a group of like space pirates or privateers where you're, you're on a mission these guys are paying you to to salvage alien technology from these dead ships that are just like floating in space and so you have this little mecha suit that you you pilot it's got some guns attached to it and it's got some boosters so you can fly around in space and it's a 2d game so you you pilot out to these dead ships in space 
Uh, you go inside, and it, the roguelike element comes in, and that each ship is randomly generated. So, like, um, it'll have a mix of different, uh, like, these parts that you have to destroy, like these different defense systems. Some are shields. Some create attack drones. Some will set off a nuclear explosion if you blow them up. Like, there's all these different little things that you have to destroy in order to disable the ship and steal the tech out of it. So, um, also along with that, the other roguelike element is that Every mecha suit you have has a very basic um, standard loadout, but then uh, when you get inside the ships, you can find new technology. So you want to like be constantly on the lookout for new guns. When you get back to your ship, you can equip those and like you know gradually kit yourself out better and better to make your chances of survival greater and greater. Um, kind of a funny story. Uh, when I saw this game at PAX uh, last year, or the year before, whatever. Uh, it caught my eye right away because I think the design of the primary mecha suit is really cool. Like it's, it's got this weird kind of like stubby look to it, but it stubby in a cool way. The face of it looked like a spitfire, like which is like a world war two fighter plane. Um, it had like a gun on its head and that's the kind of thing that looked, it just looked really cool. I'm like, Oh, this game looks neat. And I, I go over to it and I'm checking it out the demo and there's this guy standing like kind of like a couple feet away and I go, Oh, are you one of the developers? He's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the, I forget. I think he said he was the art guy. He might not have been the art guy. I may be misremembering, but he was definitely one of the developers for sure. So he looked like, I don't know, just like he didn't really want to be there. Um, so I start playing the game and I'm like, oh, you know, hey, tell me about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, you fly around and get stuff. I'm like, OK, <laughs> way to sell me on your game, dude. Like, I mean, I don't know what his deal was, but he just he seemed like he just really didn't want to talk. So that's fine. But you probably shouldn't be repping your game standing at a booth if you don't want to talk. Because that's exactly what people are going to ask you to do. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I start playing the game and I got annihilated like within five seconds. I'm like, whoa, that was like crazy hard. Like I just started the game and I'm dead already. And I try again and I got killed like right away. And I'm like, dude, this game is really hard. Like what's going on with this? He's like, yeah, whatever. Maybe play something else. Oh and my I'm like, God. yeah, he was really fucking rude. And I remember this game very clearly because he was really fucking rude. And when you go to these events, um, you know, people in general are very friendly. People are very excited to show their games. Developers work really hard. They're very proud of what they've done. And it's great. And, you know, not to not to be all elite or anything, but, like, when you show up to a booth wearing a press badge, people usually snap to and pay attention because they know this is their chance to get some coverage, right? Especially if you're an indie. Like, you need all the coverage you can get because, like, it's just, like, it's crazy out there. Like, to get your game to stand out is really tough. So if you manage to, like, you know, get in good with some PR uh, reps from game sites or just different freelancers it can really give your game a big boost so usually when i you know i show up or i see other people show up and say hey i'm with so-and-so website people are usually like oh oh let me show you this or let me let me talk to you or hey let's go over here and i'll show you this thing and the guy just could not give a fuck right and oh, so man. for him to be like yeah i go play something else i was like dude like fuck you okay like <laughs> fuck you um so when Cryptarch came out, uh, I was like, oh, it's that game. It's that game, that guy that fucking, you know, basically told me to go pound sand. And I, I was, I was, I don't want to say that I harbored a grudge, but it was like, it was a really bad experience. And it was very surprising and very unusual for something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, how do you, how are you going to feel when I give your game a fucking three, buddy? How are you going to feel about that? <laughs> uh, but I did not do that. I didn't even handle the review. So I completely recused myself from it. Um. But I've been playing it pretty regularly over the last week or so. Um, and I have to say, like, I really like it a lot. So despite that guy being a jerk to me and me really wanting to, to, to bag on his game to get back at him because he was a jerk, 
it's a really good game and I can't do that. So I, uh, I'm, I'm proud that I'm able to separate my emotions from my logic and just approach the game for what it is. Um, uh, probably a good reason why they tell you don't meet the creators of the things that you love, because usually those people are jerks and they're going to hate the thing <laughs> that they make. It's going to be really sad times all around. Um, uh, but as a roguelike goes, I think it's really neat. I think the weapon diversity is really cool. You can pick up a lot of really different weapons and, I mean, a lot of it depends on luck, so you can't always end up with the kind of stuff that you want, but usually you can find something that works for you. Um, having the different ships, the way they randomly generate is pretty good. Flying around as a little mecha suit is always really fun. Um, I've come pretty close to beating it, so it's not crazy, crazy hard. So, But I haven't beaten it quite yet. I feel like I'm, I'm within shooting distance of the end. Uh, but there's also like a couple more modes. There's more stuff to go through. There's a lot of stuff to unlock, so it's not like I'm done done but i mean i i do feel better about rolling credits once because then i can say at least i you know did my due diligence on it or whatever but it's really good um i think the game's biggest weakness right now is that it's a little bit buggy still and also that the tutorial totally does not tell you enough of what you need to know and i know that in roguelikes um, a lot of it is learning the game which is fine but in a situation like this i feel like a lot of the learning happens when you pick up a new weapon and you figure out how it works or you equip a new ship and you, you figure out how the ship works. I don't think that basic systems should be stuff that you need to learn. And what I mean by that is like you can be flying around and then all of a sudden you get swarmed like crazy. You die. And since this is a roguelike, if you die, um, you get one do over. But then after that, it's basically game over. And if you don't understand all the systems, you can get yourself in trouble really quickly. Like, for example, each ship that you can choose has a special ability and they don't really talk about that in the tutorial. So I had no idea. Um, Dan Weissenberger, who is a critic at, uh, at Game Critics, he actually told me about that. And I was like, oh, that would have been really, really important to know like hours ago. I wish I had known that. Um, same thing for like when you're firing off a weapon. I had no idea that there is a sound associated with each weapon. Some weapons are really, really quiet. Some are really, really loud. And they all make shooty, shooty, bang, bang noise when you shoot them on screen. But it doesn't, unless you're paying really, really close attention, it's very easy to miss the fact that if you use the wrong weapon in the wrong place, it's going to bring all these enemies down on your head, which is what I was doing without really knowing it. So, you know, I'd be flying around, everything's fine, being kind of stealthy, and then all of a sudden, like, 50 dudes show up out of nowhere and swarm me. It's because I was using this really, really loud gun that I didn't, I wasn't aware it was really loud. So stuff like that, I feel like, um, hurts the game initially because it's very, very hard, and if you don't understand what you're doing, uh, it just seems really, really hard, and, like, how am I going to play this? This is really terrible. And it gets off on the bad foot. It's it's really a bad taste. Um, I wish they had done a better job with the tutorial. But once Dan had given me some tips, once I played around with it a little bit more, I really started warming up to it. I actually really like it a lot. I think it's really well done. I'm, I'm playing it pretty compulsively. So I definitely give it a thumbs up. And I'm into it. If uh, people like Space, Space Hulk exploration games, salvage games, roguelike games, stuff like that. I mean, I think this is really one to watch for. Um, Corey, I'm guessing this is probably not your cup of tea has as as even one one element of anything i've talked about sounded remotely appealing to you i would not touch this game with like a 1000 foot pole probably yeah i was gonna say <laughs> i don't think nothing about this says Corey to me in any way shape or form at all i'm digging it uh, but you know i like roguelikes and i like space and i like the the mecha suits so it's all got it's got some hooks for me and i i definitely recommend it but i would i would tell people Prepare for a very rough introduction and give yourself plenty of time to just get acclimated to the systems because there's a lot of learning to do initially. But once you get over that hump, I think it's pretty good. And it 
in the beginning, I kind of hated it. But now that I've been more time into it, I think it's 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 really um, a recommended game for people who like roguelikes. And uh, still a little bit sour about that guy being a dick to me, but I can <laughs> I can proudly say that the game is actually pretty good. So, Cryptarch on PS4 and PC. Now, Corey, what have you been playing? I've heard you've got the latest, greatest, hottest, cutting edge technology. <laughs> what is what's what new thing just recently released is is taking up your time, sir? Um, before, okay, before we move on to my game, I just want to say one thing about Cryptarch before, before. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I'm going to be reaching here, reaching a lot. And I know that this is probably not true, but you know, they say that any publicity is good publicity. And even though that guy was an asshole to you at the, at the games conference, um, you walked away remembering that game. Like, you you remember it. You knew what it was. And I'm not saying that you wouldn't remember it if he had been nice. But, like, at least in this time, you remember that game because it had been in the back of your head. Because I imagine that if you're a games writer or if you're, you know, going to something like this, just remembering the game is, like, enough of a hurdle. Like, even if, uh, like, you know, oh, yeah, this game. Like, it's in my head. I've been thinking about it. And because that guy was such a jerk, maybe it was some sort of, like, secret marketing strategy where people would remember his game because he was like the only person at the conference that wasn't like super nice and like overjoyed that you were at the booth. You know, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It didn't seem like that was some kind of marketing strategy. I mean, yeah, maybe it I, was. I know maybe it this was. is not the case. I just like yeah. playing devil's advocate a little bit here. It's very possible. But I mean, I initially played the game because I thought it looked cool and it seemed like something that was interesting. And like when, you know, you're on the PAX floor, I mean, there's like you spin in a circle and you see a thousand games. So it's like there's no shortage <laughs> of stuff to play. I mean, I I would like to think that I would have thought of it and remembered it even without that guy being a dick. But I certainly remembered it because he was a dick. <laughs> so maybe there's something to that. Maybe maybe it's true that 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 there's no such thing as bad publicity. I don't know. I don't I can't say. But uh, yeah, I mean. Long story short, I that game was burned in my mind. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm glad it ended up being good. It actually is genuinely good, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that it was. So there we go. Now good. your cutting edge, hottest, newest, most pixels, 4K. <laughs> Talk about it, bro. Talk about it. What is it? All right. You know our intro for the show is that we play anything old or new. Uh, for playing it, we're going to be talking about it, and that is none truer than tonight because i am playing a game that launched on january 21st 1998 Whoa. it is that old and i whenever i looked up you know because we like to do the notes about the games whenever we talk about it and whenever i looked up the release date for because in the back of my head i was like you know i don't even remember when this game came out and i looked it up and i was like god 1998 because i could have sworn that i got this game around like right around when it launched i haven't even said the name of the game yet that that i got this game right around when it launched but i did the math and it turns out that i would have been 10 years old whenever this game came out and i feel like that might be the case because like my memories of my childhood are very distorted about like where when i experienced certain things at what age and so maybe i did play this when i was 10 because I had, uh, kind of like you and Gina, I had cool parents where they would, like, you know, let me watch, like, PG-13 movies whenever I was young or watch rated R movies whenever I was not 17 and play mature video games my entire life because they knew that I wasn't, like, you know, at risk of, you know, committing some kind of violent act from, you know, the as, as an effect of shooting somebody in a video game. So, like, maybe I did play this game when I was 10. Uh, I'm not sure. But the game that I've been playing 
is Resident Evil 2, which is quite possibly my second or third favorite Resident Evil game. I don't have an official list, but it's certainly up there. Um, the reason why I've been playing Resident Evil 2 is because, as I'm sure you do, as I do, as a lot of people do, whenever you go on vacation, uh, I like to load up some portable games that I can play. And you might be thinking, well, Resident Evil 2, that's not a portable game. What did you do, take your PlayStation 1 on, on the airplane? No, I put it on my PSP because I got a PSP, a PlayStation Portable, whenever I was in high school. And every once in a while, it still works perfectly fine. Every once in a while, I play it, usually on road trips, usually on planes or something like this. And I uh, turned on the PlayStation 3 because I thought, oh, well, let me see what PS1 classic games I have that I can copy over to it because I have like a one gig or two gig memory card for it. So I copied Resident Evil 2 over. I copied, I had had already Dino Crisis 2 copied over, which I adore Dino Crisis 2. That's not what this discussion is about, but I absolutely love that game. Um, I copied Fighting Force over, which I did not play. Oh, God, fuck that game, dude. That game's garbage. <laughs> I mean, I, I've played it, but I'm not here to talk about Fighting Force. But the most important thing is that I, I copied Resident Evil 2 over, and I absolutely love Resident Evil 2. I think the game is a masterpiece. And I played it. Um, I had four flights because we had a layover both ways. I played it for about an hour to an hour and a half on one of the flights into New York, and I played it for about the same amount of time on one of the flights back. And I actually spent a big chunk of today playing it and actually finished it. Um, uh, actually, just like a couple of hours before we started recording. Um, because it's funny whenever you play like Resident Evil or Resident Evil 2 back in the day, like the games felt really, really, really long. You know, whenever you're 10 or 12 or whatever, like that, it feels really long. I beat Resident Evil 2 in like three and a half hours. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, but the cool thing, and then part of the reason why I beat it so quickly, is that one thing that I absolutely adore about the PlayStation 1 Classic, of uh, which is uh, what it's called in the PlayStation 3, the PS1 Classic games, um, the classic version of uh, Resident Evil 2, and I believe this is how it was when they ported it to the GameCube also, is that they offer a... They have the normal game mode where you can play it exactly how it was in the PlayStation 1, but they also have a game mode called the Arrange Game, and it's basically, and I love this, I love this. It's basically the same game, but it's like on easy mode. And from the very first scene of the game, they give you like three guns with unlimited ammo. So basically- Whoa, you can, what? what? Yeah. Whoa, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it, it's perfect for me because it allows you to play the entire game to get the whole story, to see all the environments, to get scared and all that nonsense. But, like, you literally have, you start the game with a submachine gun that has unlimited ammo, and whenever you get to the first chest in the game, that the item chests, um, your, your pistol with, uh, it has, your regular pistol that does not have unlimited ammo is in there, just like usual, because you don't have to use the unlimited ammo guns, but they're there. You have the submachine gun, and then in the crate, there's the Gatling gun with unlimited ammo, and then there's the, um... The uh, rocket launcher with unlimited ammo, in case you're so bad at this game that you need to take the rocket launcher everywhere. So what I do, I take the submachine gun with unlimited ammo, and I just play the whole game with the submachine gun because it still lets me experience all the things that I love about the game without the frustrations of, you know, having really limited ammo, having really limited health items, like dying all the time, because these games are hard. Like, old Resident Evil games are very difficult, and I just absolutely adore the fact that that Capcom did this for this game. And I'm pretty sure that the PS1 Classic is the port from the GameCube version, because I think the GameCube version is the first time they did the arranged game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
but it's just, oh, it's the best. I love it. And that's part of the reason why I can beat it so quickly because I'm just fucking machine gunning everything down in the game, but it still lets me experience all of it. Well, um, yeah, dude. I mean, fuck, half the time in those fucking games was ferrying back and forth to your fucking item box because you've only got like one inventory fucking slot you know it's like you got you know hey a rocket launcher takes up the same amount of space as a key and i can only carry six things and fuck dude like that was literally half the time i can totally imagine if you had if you didn't have to worry about ammo and just play the game you would totally cut your fucking time in at least in at least half if not more than half i mean oh my god that was such a pain oh hated that hated that shit not fun But uh, I, yeah, I mean, because that's basically how it is. Like, I mean, and I don't know how many of these games have the arranged mode. Because I, I know you can buy a Resident Evil 3 Nemesis uh, as a PlayStation 1 Classic. I don't know if it has the arranged mode. Um, I don't think any of the other ones do. Because whenever the HD version of Code Veronica came out, that one does not have an arranged game. So there's quite a possibility that Resident Evil 2 might be the only one that has this, which is fine because that's one of my favorite ones. Um, I don't like Resident Evil 3 at all, and I adore Code Veronica, but that game's not hard enough for me to need, like, you know, an arranged game on. I'm totally fine playing that the way it is. But Resident Evil 2 just, uh, like, it makes me really, really miss fixed camera horror games, like classic Resident Evil games, because Resident Evil, the remake, the the GameCube remake of Resident Evil that was relaunched as an HD version on like all the consoles a few years ago, that's my favorite Resident Evil game. It's it's just flawless. It is, it's scary. It has the fixed camera angle still. Um, it has, you know, inventory management. The entire mansion is like a puzzle that you have to solve over the course of the game. And I just really hate the fact that we don't have uh, like like basically any fixed camera horror games anymore like that's such a genre that has gone out that has not like no one has made that game again to like bring it back in fashion I keep waiting for some indie developer to like make it you know kind of like how uh, Chair did Shadow Complex and it was like well we haven't had a Metroid in like 10 years so Shadow Complex is like the next best thing like I wish that somebody would do uh, you know, a fixed camera third-person horror game because I think they're just marvelous for for so many reasons. Um, but uh, I, I don't even really know what all to say about Resident Evil 2. I mean, I don't know what, what, what I can possibly say at this point other than the fact that I absolutely adore it. And I don't know anything about the details because Capcom is remaking Resident Evil 2 right now, but I don't think they've released any details about it. Um, and I keep wondering if they're going to go fixed camera or if they're going to do like the third person, like over the shoulder thing, because I think that they can make it work in either way. But deep, deep in my heart, I really hope that they do it like the Resident Evil remake and just do it fixed camera and make it look super pretty and add some some fresh areas and new puzzles to it. Well, let me let me pepper you with questions then, because this is one of my favorite Resident Evils as well. Oh, so right. we got stuff to talk about. Okay. Uh, first of all, just to get this out of the way, what is what is your favorite Resident Evil? Because you said this is not your favorite one. What is your favorite? The GameCube remake that was redone as the HD version. On oh, so the the, the re 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 remake that one. Yeah, the re. I don't even know the re remake. R E capital R E make. That is yeah. my favorite one. Probably followed by four, and then either Code Veronica or Resident Evil Two. After that, one of those two. Okay, cool. And so you're playing Resident Evil Two, which I think is is a great game. I. I don't know if it's my favorite Resident Evil, but it's really, it's, it's up there for me. Um, so you're going through, this is the one where you play, how did you switch? I guess you just, 
pick the scenario, right? Because in the back of the day, you would just switch discs. Like you would be like mm-hmm. scenario A, scenario B. So it was just on there. Like you finish one and you just automatically switch to the next one. Yeah, there is a function on the PSP where if the game's playing and you hit the home button, you can actually switch, quote unquote, switch the discs on it, which is weird. It just resets the game as the other scenario. So I played it through as Leon in scenario A, and then I started my Claire scenario B um, earlier tonight after I finished it. But it does like a faux disc switch for, for the digital version of the game. Interesting. Okay, cool. And so this is one of the few games... Um back in the day that I actually tried to get like totally complete on. I very rarely do um, completionist runs on anything because I just don't usually care. But this one I really did try. And if correct me if I'm mistaken, but this is the one where you can go through. There's like uh, an extra scenario at the end. It's like um, Survivor or something. Last Survivor. Is that is that in this game or no? I think this is the one that has where you play as Hunk, Hunk and then yeah. you can play as Tofu also, right? Yes. Okay, that is this one. This is what I thought it was. Are you planning <laughs> to go through and do all those ones? Because I did those back in the day, and I, when I look back on it now, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how did I even do that? Those are so fucking hard. Like, I finished them all <laughs> back then. I don't think I would even bother unlocking them now, and let alone finishing them both. But are you planning to go through and do those? And um, for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Hunk and Tofu? <laughs> well, first first things first, hell no. I am not planning on doing either of those. Um, second of all, uh, Hunk and Tofu are... Hunk is like a an umbrella-like special forces agent who <clears throat> you can play as if you satisfy a certain amount of conditions in your scenario A and B, a and B playthrough as Leon and Claire. And I don't even know what they are at this point because I haven't played the original PlayStation 1 version probably since about 1998 or 1999 or somewhere in there. Um, uh, you can play as Hunk, and he has like a certain weapon set and certain limitations about him, and he's just like a, a special ops agent with like the gas mask and like the full-on body armor and all that stuff. And then if you satisfy, I believe if you play the game as him and satisfy a certain amount of conditions, then you play as Tofu, and Tofu is literally a block of Tofu that you just run around in the world. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, if you know this, but Tofu only has the knife. Is that right? He has a knife and he wears a hat. That's all he's got. (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing that in a magazine, like revealing that Tofu was a thing. And I'm like, that's got to be a lie. That can't be true. It's like a fucking stick of Tofu. But he is actually in there. It is for real. And um, Hunk is very limited too. I think he's got a knife. I think he's got a pistol or something. Um, it's, it, I mean, he's basically like, like very hard mode and it's a, a special scenario. You don't play the whole game. You just play a very, um, abbreviated bit of content with him, but it's very hard. And then Tofu is even harder. Like he's literally got nothing but the knife, dude. He's got like the knife and I think a couple herbs and that's it. So, I mean, I remember doing that and going through it and actually finishing it. And like, I just, it blows my mind that I fucking actually did that back then. I don't think I could do it today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. So good times, good times. Um, who do, what are your favorite characters in that game? Or, like, what do you like about that game? I mean, I think that one has one of the better stories for me. I mean, I, of course, looking back through the fog of memory. But I remember that one holding together pretty well, being pretty entertained by it, especially by um, Mr. X, I guess. Or, you know, he, you know, basically the tyrant in a trench coat. He shows up, gets dropped off out of a helicopter and stuff. I thought he was pretty awesome. I mean, who who's your favorite character in the game, actually? I'd like to know that. 
Uh, probably Claire. I always, um, this was before, because nowadays, if given the choice between a male or female protagonist, about 99% of the time I choose the female protagonist. And the first time I played Resident Evil, this was like before my like infatuation with like, you know, uh, like minority protagonists and wanting to play as women. Um, so I'm pretty sure I played Leon first uh, whenever I was really young. And I actually just played Leon this time around too. Um, Claire in this game is probably my favorite character. I just think she's, I think she's great. Like she's Chris's little sister. She, um, she's voiced by Allison Court in the game. And I think Allison Court is just wonderful. Um, and you know, I mean, she, she just proves herself to be kind of a bad bitch. And like, that's what I want out of like, you know, a female protagonist in a game. Uh, the only thing I don't like about her scenario in Resident Evil 2 is the fact that she has to look after Sherry for most of the game because Leon gets Ada and she's like the cool, like, secret agent in the red dress and like the black leggings. And she, like, you know, patches Leon up after he gets shot and she can, like, fend for herself. But if you play as Claire, you get stuck with Sherry and she's like an eight year old girl who, like, hides and cries and runs away and she can't really do anything. And that's always the part of the of Claire's scenario that bums me out whenever you have to like be around Sherry and like protect her and she can't really like do anything for herself. But other than that, Claire is my favorite out of uh, the characters in Resident Evil 2. Right on, right on. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Claire fan. I know a lot of people really got on the Leon train back then and I always thought that was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I've always been more of a Claire guy uh myself and of course ada too i am big ada i mean who's not an ada wong fan i mean seriously like i don't know <laughs> anybody great. who doesn't yeah she's great like i don't know anybody who doesn't like her so <laughs> well i'm glad to uh see you playing through that i wonder did you still find it scary or what was it like to play through that i mean granted you didn't have to worry about the inventory like we mentioned didn't have to fuck around with like going back and forth and you know only only carrying like four things and going you know <laughs> with that stuff out of the way how does it hold up after all this time I mean, if you can get behind the tank controls, which I like, I love tank controls. I know I'm like in the 3% of the gaming, you know, population that enjoys them. If you can get, uh, if you can get on board with the tank controls, that's one thing that I love about the Resident Evil games is that, you know, Resident Evil 1, 2, 3, Code Veronica, um, the, the remake of Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 0. If you can play one, you can play them all because they all timelessly hold up from a control standpoint because they all control basically exactly the same it's just tank controls with fixed camera angles um it, it holds up well actually it's a little difficult because i played it on the psp it's a little bit difficult to play on the d-pad on the psp d-pad like i think it would be easier to play with a full-size controller which is why i like the resident evil remake is better on consoles um control wise even though it still has uh tank controls but um I mean, it's easy to play. It did still scare me in certain parts. I mean, not like, you know, get under my skin, but like I was playing it on the plane with like headphones on and, you know, there's like, because at a certain point you like think you know when the jump scares are going to happen and you get tensed up about them. Like there's a section where in scenario A, you have to put the red jewels in these two statue chests on their necklaces and then like the big statue in the middle opens up and like a key falls out of his chest and there's a big there's a, a wonderful camera angle where you're walking in where the camera uh shows you shows up on the ceiling and there's like a big uh skylight on the ceiling and whenever i walked into that area i was like oh god this is where the liquor falls through this is where the liquor falls through the ceiling and it doesn't happen in scenario a it happens in scenario b and i was like nervous the whole time i was in that room as leon because i thought that the liquor was going to fall down and then i breathed like this big sigh of relief whenever I walked out but like the section where there's like a hallway above the library where the crows crash through the window and it made me jump so hard on the plane even though I've played this game like
like probably like 10 times. I, I was like wearing headphones and like walking carefully down this hallway with my unlimited ammo submachine gun and the crows burst through the windows. <laughs> jumped up in my plane seat and like yelped a little bit and felt ridiculous but um I mean it's just the power of nostalgia and jump scares I mean it it just it still totally works for me right on right on good times also just to clarify for people listening uh the liquor is actually a monster with like a really long tongue when you were saying the liquor was going to fall I kept imagining like a bottle of like bourbon or something dropping from the ceiling (laughs) which is totally something not even remotely at all what resident that would be a totally different game kind of interesting when the liquor fell from the ceiling but no that's that's not it at all so sounds like good times man sounds like good times what's next for you are you going to be playing more stuff on your psp or now that you're back home uh going back to business as usual well i started um because i finished leon scenario a and this is the thing the other thing that i think is super fascinating about resident evil 2 is that like back in the day when you got the game it was on two discs and you think okay well you can play as leon you can play as claire and then they have you know basically the exact same game and that's it but capcom pulled a fast one because whenever you finish scenario a as one of the characters there's actually an entire second game where you play as the other character and do the stuff that they were doing while the scenario a stuff was happening and i mean give or take a lot of the stuff is kind of the same like you know you explore the same areas you get the same keys but you just do it in a slightly different order and there's a different like ending uh ending boss so i mean it's almost like you know, like near or near Automata where you have to play the game twice and it's like different the second time around. I mean, I feel like maybe Resident Evil 2 kind of like spearheaded that a little bit, but that's a little bit off topic. But I, I did start Claire's Scenario B after finishing Leon's Scenario A. And even though I've played Scenario B plenty of times, I actually remember I'm less familiar with it than I am with Scenario A. So I will probably finish her Scenario B. And plus I'm playing on a range mode. So, you know, I've got my submachine gun and everything. There's nothing really stopping me. Um... I'll probably play that, and then I'll probably just put the PSP back in the drawer, you know, for another year until I go on vacation or something, because I enjoy my PSP, and I have a a Game Boy Advance SP also, which still works perfectly fine, and I've got a handful of games that I can still play on both of them, and I always take them on road trips, but I don't really touch them much whenever I'm home, because usually I'm playing, you know, the PS4 or the Xbox One or something, and there's not really any reason, unless, like, Patrick's watching a movie or playing video games and I'm, you know, in the living room and just don't really have anything to do, then maybe I'll break one out. But I might play Claire's Scenario B and then probably just put it down after that. Right on, right on. Um, I have a PSP also. I spent many, many, many hours with my PSP. Great machine, always um, undervalued, underappreciated, just like the Vita. I think the Vita is a really slick machine as well. But I have to say, um, one thing that really kind of concerns me about these portables is the batteries and uh, the reason i bring this up is like uh, i mentioned a couple shows ago that we were playing a lot of Wii Wii u here at the house um and when we started digging out all of the gear the random bullshit peripherals that go <laughs> with the Wii, like the forty-two thousand things um i got out one of the Wii motes and it didn't work. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, obviously I haven't played it in like a couple years. The batteries are clearly dead. Let me swap these out. Um, and I pop open the battery hatch and the batteries had totally like burst and corroded. So oh. I don't know. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like had a battery burst on you like that? I've had ones where I can't even remember where this was, if it was in a controller or in some like childhood toy where you like open it and there's kind of like, I mean, it didn't explode, but there's just kind of like a white like 
crusty juice all over the battery. That's a really gross way to explain it. But like, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's, you know, like a leak like that. Sometimes it can be even more. So I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so I took it into the bathroom and cleaned it up as best I could. It still worked. And thankfully, most of the damage wasn't really permanent. I mean, the plastic didn't really um, respond well to the acid. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, it was okay. But then it kind of made me think like, oh, fuck, like, you know, uh, what's this going to be like for my PSP? Like, my PSP is in perfect working order, but how long before the battery on that, like, you know, goes bad? Like, is it ever going to leak? Is it ever going to burst? Same thing for my Vita. Same thing um, for other things I have in the house. I mean, even non-game related stuff. Like, I have a lot of Transformers. Um, I'm a pretty big Transformers fan uh, before the Michael Bay movies ruined everything. <laughs> and some of the old Transformers have, like, light-up electronics or they have batteries, and I'm like, oh, fuck, like... You know, I packed up some of these things back in the day when I was a kid or when I was a little bit older before I really realized that batteries can burst like that. And now I'm like, oh, great. If I dig out my classic Transformers, I'm going to open them up and they're going to be all fucking rotten inside and they may not even work <laughs> anymore, uh, which is a real fucking bummer. So I guess I'm really paranoid about firing up my PSP one day and having it not work. And then I try to figure out what's going on. And then just like this, you know, like you said, that white crusty shit is all over it or or the battery is leaked or something. I don't know. If that's a thing that happens with those type of batteries, maybe it's only the cheaper batteries you get from the store. But, like, it's in the back of my mind now. So, I'm, like, I'm really nervous about it, dude. Like, I, I'm into the preservation of games. I, I take really, really good care of my stuff. Like, the stuff that I have, like, works because I take really good care. And I'm just, I'm paranoid that, like, these batteries are going to go bad on me. Ugh, keeps me up at night, dude. <laughs> Well, one thing that I really like about the PSP, and I have, I'm pretty sure Sony brought out, like, four different kinds, you know, they have the PSP 1000, they have the PSP Go, they have the PSP 2000, they have the PSP 3000. Like, I don't know. I know obviously the PSP Go is the one that has like the slider screen, but I have the very, very first, the PSP 1000. One thing that I really like about the PSP 1000 is that the battery compartment actually opens. It has a lithium ion battery, but the battery compartment opens and the battery comes completely out. Like it's its own separate entity, just like you would change like double A's on like a, a controller or something. And I actually, I really like that. I hope that that won't burst. But the cool thing about that is uh, in the middle of college, after I had had my PSP for like, I don't know, like five years or so, um, I can't remember what the occasion was, if it was like a birthday or just something silly. But I remember it's just like a silly gift. Patrick bought me a new battery for the PSP. And, uh, and I thought that was really great because a lot of things these days, you know, like like your phone or like, uh, you know, like the 3DS or, uh, I'm, you know, you just plug the, the thing itself in and then it charges, you know, like your PS4 controller and you can't actually physically take the batteries out. But the cool thing about the old PSP is you can just, as long as you can find that style of battery on Amazon or at like a specialty battery store or something, you can just go buy a new battery and pop it right in. And then you have a, a fresh battery that has a fresh life and it won't, you know, die after 30 minutes or be worn out or old or something like that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that very much about the PSP. I do recall that one side of it opens up and the battery comes out, which is great for just such an occasion. Um, but, you know, we're also concerned with form factor and compactness. And, um, you know, also, I think a large part of it is people just don't want you to change the battery. They want you to send it in. So you got to pay or you just maybe you just get bored and you buy a new one or something. You know, they don't want us messing with the batteries, which I think is a shame because, you know, my Vita is great. I don't believe there's any way to access the battery that I know of unless you take the whole thing apart. Same thing for the electronics. So it makes me really kind of nervous, but I guess there's nothing I can really do about it. I just hope that someday when I finally bust out that PSP again, that <laughs> it still it still works. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, any, any final thoughts on uh, PSP, Resident Evil 2, 
Ada Wong, anything? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Um, Resident Evil 2 is amazing. I love it. And even though the story is kind of cheesy and the dialogue is awful, it still holds up gameplay-wise, and I am very happy that I can count on it for road trips. Right on, right on. Well, let me talk just for a minute about the other game I was going to bring up. It's not a new one, and people listening to the podcast regularly may be tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> uh, but I'm spending a lot of time on it, and i gotta, I got to talk. Um, I am in the home stretch on Neo. I'm almost done with it, believe it or not. I've been playing it every day, getting up and putting some time into it, and I've been going through all the main missions, all the submissions. Um, it's a very, very long game. Um, it's good. I'm still enjoying it. I enjoy that I, I just do one or two missions a day, and then I put it aside so I don't burn out on it. And it still is fun, so that's good. But I'm going to be glad when it's over. Um, I, I almost feel like I can just give like final thoughts on it now because nothing is going to really change between now and the end, unless the end boss is really hard. And I don't know how many hours I put into it by now, but like a lot, like more than I should have actually. But the thing that it makes me think about is like, it's a good game and I'm enjoying it, but it is too long. And I say that because, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Corey, um, to me, the way that you measure if a game is too long is if it runs out of ideas and it keeps going. So, like, I know in some games, um, you know, part of the joy of these things is, like, the repetition, where it's, like, just simply doing something, some basic action is in itself kind of, like, entertaining or comforting in a certain way. Um, I don't tend to like those kind of games. I don't tend to like those grind games or, you know, like in Harvest Moon or something where you can just, like, farm for infinity or, like, you know, if you're in Diablo, you can just click on things forever. Um, but for me, I, I feel like... I'm a gamer who likes to keep pushing forward. I like new ideas. I like to see new things. And so for me, whenever a game runs out of ideas, I feel like it should end. I like things to end before I get tired of them. So for Neo, you know, it's a Souls-like, samurai-themed. It's got a couple new spins on the Souls formula, so it's it's got its own identity as well. Um, I think what it does is very successful. I have really enjoyed playing it very much. I think it's also Team Ninja's most successful game. But there are like six major areas uh, in, the, in the campaign, and each one is broken up into sub-areas. Um, I have to say that like by the, th probably by like the third area, they had unrolled basically every idea and every twist that they had up their sleeves. And so the remaining three areas, which is like fully like half of the game, was just, you know, new places to go, um, new environments, uh, more gear to get. Uh, you know, better weapons, keep building levels, uh, you know, minimal, minimal new stuff showing up. Like maybe if you inspect yourself out, you would earn enough experience points by that later date that you could afford some of the higher powers or something. But basically, once you had put in like, you know, you're enough time to see the first three worlds, that's kind of all the game had. And I, you know, to be frank, I would have been fine if it had ended at that point. I felt like for an action game like this, 10, you know, 15 hours, that's plenty. I think I feel like it's plenty for a game like this. And it's I've put in way more than that. So thankfully I'm not tired of it. But like what do you think, Corey? Do you feel like a game should end when when all of its ideas are over and it just kind of like starts repeating itself? Or are you like okay with doing some of those repetitive things if it feels good, if it's entertaining to you, if it's comforting? Like where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I feel like this is very much a case by case thing for me because there are games that uh, like definitely run out of ideas or games that you can feel like they've had themselves out a little bit much that I get really tired of. 
But there are also examples where I don't mind that, I guess. Like, kind of, I mean, like, Fallout 4 is a pretty good example of a game that, like, pads itself out quite a bit, but I actually don't mind that because, like, Fallout 4 had been... I, I hadn't played a Fallout in so long that by the time I got Fallout 4, even though it wasn't a great game, it was, like, perfectly adequate for me to play through and, uh, and, and you know, be okay with that. that. There was very little in the game where I was, like oh, I have to go here again, or, oh, I have to do all of this. Like, the story, I think, kept it interesting enough to, like, push me forward the whole way through. Um, but there are games where, um, like, the game that I'm going to talk about next is, like, an example of games where, like, you know, I'll pick up a mission, and it'll be like, you have to go all the way over here. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I go do that. And then it's like, oh, now you have to go all the way over here. And I'm like, uh, really? Okay, I guess I will. And then, like, after that, it's like, now you have to go back to this place. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, are you serious? And so, I don't know. It's totally, that's, like, a total case-by-case -case thing for me, I think. It just depends on how much I'm enjoying the game, how much I'm enjoying the story, if the mechanics are solid enough to really... Um, to really uh, keep me in tune and keep me excited about the game, um, or if they're just not. Well, that's a that's a good point. I think um, the thing that I kind of left out there was story. I mean, I think story definitely plays a big factor. If you're interested in the story of something like Fallout or, uh, you know, some other game where I mean, I think story itself, if the plot is interesting, that can be enough of a new thing to kind of keep me going. Uh, but in a game like Neo. Uh, the story is garbage. Uh, it's just really, really <laughs> garbage, which is kind of a testament to how good the gameplay is because usually anything that's garbage, I, I, I jettison pretty quickly. It's it's just like um, Tecmo Koi kind of name-dropping like every famous person from feudal Japan in this story, and your main character kind of just goes through and meets them all one by one. And I guess if you're a student of history, that is cool, or maybe you would know who these people were. It, the story to me is totally worthless and is nonsensical and doesn't is not worth a damn. Um, so in that in that sense, um, I'm kind of looking towards the gameplay to keep delivering me new twists. And by the time I had seen all of the enemy types, and I had you know spent some time with all of the weapon types, and once I had mastered like the magic, I mean mechanically there wasn't a lot left, but there was still like half the game left. So that was a case of where I mean it's. Ordinarily, I would quit by that point, but it it was good enough to where I was really enjoying it. But I think, in general, um, for most games, when they don't have any new twists coming up, or the story is not enough to keep me moving forward, that's when I really want them to end. And I find that most games keep on going. So I'm definitely a fan of shorter games, uh, with few exceptions. Although Neo is definitely one of those exceptions. Although I, to be frank, I'm glad I'm going to be done soon because I am looking forward to uh, putting it away before I get sick of it. And I want to move on to something else because it's really hard to do a podcast when you're playing the same game for like five weeks in a row. <laughs> it's really tough. It's really tough. You guys listening, you guys don't even know unless you do your own <laughs> podcast, but like coming up with new shit every week when you're like balls deep in some game that's like a hundred hours long is really tough. So uh, anyway, those are my thoughts on long games and my thoughts on Neo. I probably were not going to bring it up again unless something crazy happens at the end. But it's been it's been good. It's been fun. I'm glad it's going to be done. Um, but yeah, it's good times. But uh, too long. Too long. And Corey, I suspect that the final game we're going to be discussing tonight is also too long. Uh, am I correct on that? That is an accurate assumption. Tell us, please, sir. What have you been playing? All right. Much like you, I have also talked about this game a couple times in the show already. 
And I actually have finished mine, so I will not, probably not be talking about this in the future. Uh, it is Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, if you had asked me, like, three months ago when I played an hour or two of this game and came on the show and we talked about it and I said it was just okay and not that great and I'm probably not going to play it ever again. If you had been like, oh, do you think that in three months we'll be revisiting this topic and you will have put 60 hours into this game to finish it, I would have been like, no, that'll never happen. But here we are. Um, my foot is in my mouth and I have spent 60 entire hours with Mass Effect Andromeda and I actually finished it yesterday, I think, or this morning or something. Um, was the ending split up into, like, red, green, and blue? No, it wasn't. I mean, it was... I guess the thing that I appreciate after Mass Effect 3 is that this game, there's not, like, a multi-choice ending. You just do the thing, and then the game is over, and that's it. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I guess, you know, we have talked about it a few times, so we don't need to rehash the whole thing. Um, I, I think that uh, I hated it. <laughs> and I know that you were definitely less than impressed, but you found enough to kind of keep you going. You spent 60 hours, which is a crazy amount of time. Um, yeah, that just seems ridiculous to me. But And actually, I'm kind of mad that you played that again. Kind of mad at you, dude, because that game is uh, crap. <laughs> it's because I don't really have anything. It, this is sad. Like, the best compliment I can give it is that, like, it's engaging enough for me because I don't have anything better to play. Like, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, that's some pretty weak praise where, like, you know, it's better than <laughs> it's better than staring at my wall. It's better than doing nothing. I mean, yeah, it's not really the greatest praise. But now that you have finished it, I mean, I guess, number one, what did you think of the story overall? And then what did you think of, like, the gameplay overall? Like, talk about each one of those separately. Okay, the story is... I mean, it's just okay. Like, you, you're the Pathfinder. You're going to this new space of the galaxy where you sleep in cryo for, like, 200 years or something. You get there. The planets that you're supposed to settle on are not at all what you thought they were going to be, so you have to scramble with the other. Like, each race of alien has an arc that all the people are uh, in cryo on. Basically, you have to try to connect with the arcs and scramble to figure out what you're going to do. And the plan ends up being that you terraform a handful of planets to make them inhabitable for you and other species. And in the middle of that, you find a brand new species to the series called the Angarans, Angarans. And uh, you find out that they are being attacked by this other new race called the Ket, K-E-T-T. Uh, and basically you just kind of end up in the middle of this war between the Angarans and the Ket. And you have to figure out like, how to get rid of the cat so that you can like settle on these planets like in a more peaceful manner. And I mean, there's definitely some twists and turns that I'm not going to spoil here. Like you, you figure out the origin of the Angarans, you figure out the origins of the cat and you figure out like how their races, um, you know, sort of, uh, go with each other kind of there's not really a good way to explain it. Just like how they relate to each other and why they're sort of in a fight. But I mean, one of my takeaways from the story that kind of bothered me is that, like, although you are, you play as the Pathfinder who's, like, spearheading all of the work on this mission, you feel ultimately like a side character to the actual plot that's happening because you get an Angaran on your team named Jal, and a lot of the story revolves around him because this is a big conflict for his people. Like, the Angarans are, they've, they've already been settled in this galaxy, you know, and then all these other arcs are coming over here to try to, like, you know, settle in the planets that are around them. And they're the ones that have a lot of, there's a lot of story revelations about the Angarans and about the Ket and why they're at war with each other. 
And um, like, I don't know if this game would have been better if you had played as an Angarn instead of as a human from the arc, but it just kind of feels like a lot of the story elements are like, like me checking in on Jal and being like, wow, this big thing happened to your race. Let's talk about it. And then you like figure out something else and missions later. And then you're like, wow, like this is some heavy shit that's going on with your race. Like, let's talk about it some more. And at the same time, I'm like, I feel like that I'm just like very much like compartmentalized character in a saga that's not really about writer about the pathfinder and i mean i liked writer um i i picked the the female writer and you know i thought she was fine and i felt like the way i had her handle all the shit like was was pretty good for the most part but it just it's not really her story like the game tries to make it her story but it's not really hers it didn't seem like hers because like even though the stakes for settling all these different races on these planets like those are pretty high stakes and i liked you know i love to talk about stakes whenever it comes to stories it just seems like the story drifts too heavily into the angarn and the ket conflict and like those are where like the real stakes are in the story and i mean it's not bad but it's just like i don't know it just kind of reminds me of the borg like in star trek it's like the ket are kind of like the borg because they're trying to like make these other races like fight for them and i feel like it samples a lot from like a mass effect 2 where you know the i can't remember what the guy's called but there's like the race that like take all the the people from the colonies and they like uh you know like capture them and like turn them into enemies it, like it samples some of that stuff and i mean with the with the the strides that Mass Effect 1 through 3 make, I feel like it, you know, it's kind of like, well, where do you go after that? Like, because Mass Effect 1 through 3 pretty covered, pretty much covered just about, like, every potential, like, story conflict you could ever cover in a series. And so, I mean, I guess I kind of applaud them for, like, trying to do another story, but it just seems like it's hitting a lot of the same beats in less interesting ways. And it feels like that the protagonist's story, it's not even like really about her and there's like some big like i'm not gonna spoil it but there's like a big revelation for the main character of the story and like stuff that's going on with her family and then the game like totally does not come back to it and like does not resolve it and it just like ends and it's one of those things where i feel like as they were making this game they were probably like oh we're just gonna save this for dlc you know like this this it's just one of those things where you can feel like it was screaming like because it didn't get wrapped up in the game like it would be DLC later, but they've basically already confirmed that they're not doing any single-player DLC for the game, probably because of all the shit that happened whenever it came out, and probably because it didn't, uh, you know, review and sell super-duper well. So it's kind of a shame, because if this got single-player DLC, I might come back around to it and play it, but they've already said it wasn't. Um, do you have any input before I move on to combat, I guess? No, I mean, I didn't complete the game and what you're saying i mean i I'm, I'm identifying with some of it but i didn't see these stories all the way through because i just didn't care because they didn't connect <laughs> with me i felt like um a lot of the game was just like basically like you said i mean uh, i'm kind of saying the same thing you're saying it was just like rehashing a lot of the stuff that was from the previous series because the previous series covered so much it's like you it would take a really talented writer to kind of expand on what they've done and i'm not saying it could be done i think there are people out there who could certainly do it uh, but those people were not on this team and it's, you know, again, I think also with EA trying to like, I don't think they've officially said this at any point, but I think most people kind of like figured out that this is basically supposed to be like a soft reboot of the entire series. It felt like they were just dipping back into the same well, like the writers were like, well, they did this in the previous trilogy 
if we're rebooting this, we can do this thing again and maybe people won't notice or maybe it's fine that we do this again. So it, it felt like some of that stuff just, just didn't really connect because um, number one, it wasn't really well written. And number two, like um, it, just, it was just it was just too familiar for me in some places. And I just didn't feel like um, the story was anywhere near the quality of the original trilogy. Um, and, you know, of course, some of the best writers that were there previously are not there anymore. So, of course... Uh, I, you know, I wish that EA or Bioware, whoever was in charge of hiring the writers had really spent more time on focusing on the story because that's really what the game is about. I don't think that people come to this game to do fetch quests or to even do the combat. I mean, I know some people like it, but I, it would be really weird to me to have somebody say, I like, I play Mass Effect for the combat. Like that would be weird to me. Like, I think there's tons of ga combat games out there. I think you come to Mass Effect because you like the characters and story. And if that is weak, that is a fundamental flaw in your game design. So that it's <laughs> bizarre to me that that game went so far awry, but anyway, so, so tell us about the combat. I mean, I mean, better than uh, the previous games. Was it enough to carry you forward? Did, didn't care. What was your, what was your take on that? Um, I think the combat took, uh, it took a little bit for me to get warmed up to it, but I actually really enjoyed it by the end of the game. Um, and most of it is because like, I think Mass Effect 3 is the absolute pinnacle of, like, tight combat gameplay for this series. I think it's just, it's it's so intense, and it's so fast, and it's so, like, in-your-face and interesting. And, like, the sound design for the combat in Mass Effect 3 is, like, absolutely fantastic. Um, that it's, it's just the best. Like, I think Mass Effect 2 has all-right combat, but I think it's stuck in too much of a corridor shooter game for the combat to really flourish. And one thing that I like about Andromeda is that, like, a lot of the combat is in big open spaces, so you can really harness uh, the Pathfinder's mobility. And like the big thing about the combat and the movement in this game is that you basically have like a little jetpack, or you can use biotic boosters if you're a biotic character, where um, you can jump and like jetpack up in the air, like you know, like a few stories in the air. And if you shoot from up there, you'll hover for a second and like slowly go down as you're uh, as you're shooting and you also have like a side dash jump jet where you can press circle and any direction you know left right forward or back they'll just jet in that direction and it's a really um it's a pretty fun addition to the combat because like in mass effect 3 all you could do is like a little side roll or something like that like in mass effect has never even had a jump button like up until this point so it's pretty neat to like have that mobility in in a, a lot of like wide open fights because like jetpacking my ass and like you know uh, power strafing around the battlefield while shooting and using biotic powers was really a blast. Like I love I love the biotic powers in this game because um, you know you can upgrade any of them. You could play as any of them. Um, I think my standard setup was. I had incinerate on L1, I had uh, throw on R1, and I had uh, charge if you press L1 and R1 together. And I just love the biotic powers in the Mass Effect games. Like my favorite thing about the throw ability is that it um, it like uh, tracks enemies and it like goes around corners and stuff. So if you like see an enemy and you arc, you like look up and hit the throw button, uh, she'll like throw the little throw orb up and it'll like go up and arc back down and hit them. and. There's just, like, nothing more satisfying than, like, hitting incinerate on an enemy and then throwing, like, a throw orb at them and it, like, tossing them against a wall and it, like, creates a biotic combo blast. And I, I just adore it. Um, I don't think the combat's as good as Mass Effect 3, but I think, like, once you the game really hits its stride, 
um, it gets pretty close. And I was also playing the game on easy, on the easiest setting, because I was not about to go into this and have it be really hard and have a challenge. So that probably has something to do with it, that I could just have a lot of fun on the battlefield and, you know, switch up my powers and try biotics and, you know, dash around and everything. And I mean, I, I really, um, it not, it's not as good as Mass Effect 3, but I did end up enjoying the combat quite a bit in Andromeda. Well, right on. I'm glad that you um, enjoyed it. I mean, overall, you know, now that you've you've done and seen everything and it seems like that they're not really cooking up a sequel and there's probably not any DLC coming or anything now that you've partaken. I mean, overall, big meh or what? I mean, it was fine. I'm not like mad that I played it because if I really did, were not enjoying myself, I would have just put it down. But it was it was engaging enough for me to keep playing it. I wish that it had been a little bit less padded because it does a lot of uh a lot of missions in the game are very annoyingly done where like you know you always have your primary mission you know throughout the entire game but of course you know as in any mass effect game there's a ton of side quests you know there's loyalty quests there's side quests there's um some the game calls them tasks in this game and basically anytime something falls under the task menu you basically know you don't have to do it at all because like it's just extra padding for the game and it's kind of nice that they put those under the task menu because you know that it's not like you're not really going to get anything out of that a little mission other than experience. But uh, some of the side quests that aren't tasks were really annoying. Like, you know, some of like the loyalty quests, like there was one where the Krogan on my team, uh, Drac, like we were heading into like the final mission of the game. And like he sends me an email and he's like, oh, will you meet me on the Nexus at this bar? Because I want to play this like Krogan board game thing with you. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like it sounds like a fun little, you know, little mission thinking that I'd get to, you know, go and play this little board game mission. But no, I fly all the way across the fucking galaxy when like the stakes for this game are the highest, like right before the last mission of the game. And this mission had not popped up before then. Like I did it as soon as it became available. And, like, literally fly all the way across the galaxy, go to this bar in the Nexus, and sit down. And it's, like, a two-minute conversation you have with Drac, and then the mission's over. Like, you don't play the game, you don't see the game being played, and the game pulls that bullshit a lot where, like, you can't tell if the mission you're about to go on is going to turn into something bigger or turn into something more complex, or if you're literally going to, like, fly all the way across the galaxy just to have, like, a one-minute conversation with somebody. Like, why couldn't we have played this Krogan board game on on the ship, on the Tempest. It just doesn't make any sense. And then on the flip side, it has missions where you have to do so much stuff. Like, it seems like a small side mission at first where it's like, go to this planet and investigate this thing. And then you end up having to go to, like, six planets and investigating all the shit. And it's for, like, a side quest. And, it, you know, it pulled that a few times. And there's just, like, not enough of a balance between, like you know, side missions that you think are going to be long, and then, you know, they take two minutes to do, but you still have to fly all over the galaxy and look at, like, four loading screens to get there, and then there's some where they just keep evolving into these bigger, bigger things, and they end up being, you know, a lot that you have to partake, and I kind of just wish that the game would give you a little bit of notice on it, like, you know, or make the heavier missions seem heavier um, from the get-go, or file the stupid, like, one minute conversation missions under the tasks instead of like an official side mission because some of them are just they just felt like a waste of time yeah i hear you i got that sense very much i definitely agree um a lot of those missions uh you know whatever they're classified as i know there's a couple different breakdowns like you mentioned but they a lot of it just seemed like bullshit a lot of it seemed like <laughs> pointless waste of time that 
you know, just none of the stakes were there. I mean, I it, it didn't help that I wasn't attached to any of the characters, and so um, doing some of the missions just felt like, why am I doing this? I really don't fucking care, so what? <laughs> um, but as the game went on, it just it just failed, and there was a lot of things where I'd be like, go here, scan this thing, go here, collect this thing, and just a lot of it just seemed like very much like, um, whatchamacall, Inquisition in space or something, which I, I bounced off of that one um, pretty hard as well, so... Um, I guess there's really only one pertinent question left to ask before we move on and wrap up the show, Corey. Do you know what I'm about to ask you? Uh, are you going to ask me? I really hope you're not going to ask me this, but are you going to ask me if I'll recommend this to people? Nope. That is totally oh, not what okay. I'm going to ask you. All right. All right. Good. Because I, I would say very hesitantly yes to that, but would not be able to like really put any like compassion behind it. But what's the actual question you're going to ask? No, the actual question was... Uh, oh, is who did I have sex with? There you go. <laughs> That's the only one anybody cares about, buddy. Now, let me tell you, before you tell me your answer, um, I find it weird that people want to have sex with the aliens. If you had sex with aliens, that's fine. I'm not judging you. Do whatever floats your boat. But for me, I find it really weird that people want to bone like every fucking thing in Mass Effect. It's weird to me. Like, I just don't get it. And especially um, the new aliens, the uh, not the cat, but the, uh, what do you call it? The Angarans. The Angarans, yeah. Those guys are ugly as fuck, dude. Like, I'm just like, I can't even. Like, I just, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so that's my 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 human slanted taste uh who did you end up who did you end up boning down with man well i thought for a while about um there's a human on the team uh god i can't even remember his name right now and i feel like an idiot for not being able to remember it uh but he's like your crisis management dude is it liam liam Liam. yeah liam thank you um yeah uh, I thought about him for a while because he's like the kind of like a bro jock dude where like every time you go into his quarters to talk to him, he like has a shirt off and he's got like a ripped like six pack. And, you know, I'd go in there and I'd be like, all right, like, this guy's kind of hot. Like maybe he'd be like one of those like frat boys that I would like fuck once and never talk to again. But like I, I but I felt like I needed to have like a more meaningful relationship than that with somebody on the ship. So I actually ended up hooking up with uh, Vetra, Vetra Nix, who is the the female Turian uh, kind of like uh, rogue, like bad bitch on the on the uh, Tempest, and I really liked her from the get go. Like a lot of the characters are not super well written in this game, but she actually, from her first scene, like she she gives you a very a very good sense of her presence and a very good sense of how well she commands a situation, and and she just she just made me happy. I just liked how like how cool she was, and so I actually ended up successfully. Um, uh, having a relationship with her, although, you know, I thought about Liam and PB, the um, Asari that's on the team. I, like, totally, without flirting with her at all over the course of the game, ended up in a situation where she, like, tried to have sex with me, and we were, like, in, like, a zero-G area, and she was like, hey, like, do you want to hook up? Like, no strings attached. And I was like, whoa, PB, like, I haven't... I haven't been like putting the moves on you or anything because I think you're kind of annoying. And so like I turned her down and she was like, hey, that's fine. Like if you say no, like that's okay. I know this is sudden, but I'm um, so I like had the opportunity to hook up with her, but I didn't because I think she's kind of annoying. But uh, but like I thought about Liam. I did think about Jal the Angaran because he's so like, uh, he's very like uh, soft hearted. He He's very like upfront about his feelings and he's very like sad the whole game because the whole game is about like, 
his race, like all the stuff about his race, like this crap that they're going through. So I thought about hooking up with him. Just he looks like I a pile of like lunch meat, though. He looks like he, cold cuts. Dude. He looks like if a jellyfish were a human. Like that's kind yeah. of what they look like. <laughs> he's but, like a baloney stuffed jellyfish. He's gross. But he has such a. He's got a nice personality, though. He's he's a nice guy, and he's very. Oh, you did like, not pull out the nice personality thing. Oh, he's no, not much he's, to look at, but nice. nice personality. He's very sincere, and he's very warm, and I liked him, but. My heart went to Veteranix. We, um, I saved her sister and her side quest, and we ended up going up to a mountain on one of the planets together, and we were like making out on this like clifftop during the sunset. And then she tried to cook me a steak on the ship, and it wasn't cooked very well. And then I think we ended up doing it in my quarters uh, to make it up to me after she failed to cook the steak well. So Veteranix was my my go to in Mass Effect. So just to just to go off on this tangent for a second here, um, I think this is one of the main failings of the Mass Effect writing in general was that, you know, we, we talked before about how the aliens weren't alien enough. And I think this is a perfect example. I mean, the very the very fact that um, I mean, uh, not to get too into this, the details of it, but it's like, <laughs> you know, the the odds that our junk and their junk are going to be compatible in any sort of way are ridiculous. I mean, chemically physically uh just there's there's so many ways that that's not gonna work i mean i mean look at the animals here on earth we're from the same planet and there's like a lot of animals that you just you just you can't bone like it doesn't work like you know so i mean granted there's something you can uh, you know I, I get that's a thing too but i mean it's just you know there's some alien out there who probably wouldn't even show affection in the same way if they even felt affection would not have the same desires to get down and, and naked with somebody from a different species. Like, I think that's a really big failing of like, um, the characterization of the aliens in this, because like, like we said earlier, they just, they're just like, um, humans with different heads. You know, they, it doesn't really, uh, follow the alien concept all the way to the end and really have them be truly alien, which I think is, is a mistake. Um, side note tangent though. I, uh, as I don't think we've talked about it much here on the podcast, but I've actually written two books that were published before. Um, I don't talk about it a lot, but um, when I was doing that, when I was deeper into the the book writing scene, I made some friends with some authors who are much, much more well-known than I am and who are much more successful, and they're very nice people. Um, but one of them ended up being like this crazy, like hardcore super fan of Mass Effect. And so this published, this nationally published, multiple nationally published writer um, sent me a link and this person's like, Hey, so like I wrote some fanfic about Mass Effect. Do you want to check it out? <laughs> and they wrote it under this pseudonym, of course. And it was not, you know, it wasn't paid. It was just this thing they were doing for fun. Right. I mean, uh, and so, I mean, number one, this person is very prolific. So I'm like, God damn you. How do you find the time to write all your books? Then write fucking fanfic on the side. <laughs> Jesus, get a fucking life. Right. Stop being so successful. Um, but I went and read and, uh, their particular scene, I'm being very careful not to spill anything here. Their, their, their scene was about a human getting it on with, um, what was the, uh, the, uh, the guy that was everybody's favorite from the first Mass Effect? Garrus. Yes, Garrus. You oh, knew what I was Garrus talking about. Garrus is the best. Yeah. Yeah. So like there, it was like this really long extended and granted very well-written scene. It was better than anything that was in Andromeda. Uh, sex scene between this person and Garrus and then they got to the, the sex part and it was pretty explicit and I was like oh my god like <laughs> just the whole 
I, I'm not going to get into it, but let's just say he did not have what you and I have. It was something else entirely. And that was a whole, like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I don't know. That just doesn't do it for me. I get I, it clearly does it for some people. And that was a very interesting experience. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, thank you for sharing your sexual experiences uh, in Mass Effect. I know that must have been difficult to talk about, but I think everybody... <laughs> Everybody enjoyed uh, listening. So I, I'm good on Mass Effect. I kind of don't want to ever hear about it again. Um, unless you have anything else you want to uh, share, I say we wrap it up. I think I, uh, if I ever talk about Mass Effect on the show again, I hope my computer crashes again and it becomes a lost show because we do not need to talk about this anymore. Agreed. 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 So I'm good. Um, it's been a long day. This has been a long night. This has been a long show. Um, I'm glad we did a sizable show because I know that people missed out on us last week and I don't like to not do a show. I feel like we owe it to our listeners to be consistent and regular. So everybody who missed, uh, missed us last week, apologies for that. Hopefully it's never going to happen again. Hopefully this extended uh, episode has gone some way towards uh, healing that wound, but uh, I'm good. I'm good for tonight, and actually, I'm ready to go to bed. So, Corey, why don't you take us <laughs> home, sir? Cool. All right. Well, that is going to wrap our game stock and everything else from episode 39 of the So Video Games Podcast. Uh, sorry again for the lost show. We tried to get a shot last week, uh, midweek show, to make up for the fact that I was out of town on Sunday, but. Oh boy, my computer was not agreeing with that. So um, hopefully this like hour of banter and hour of game talks is good. Game talks, game talk um, was a good cover for that. And before we go, I would like to remind you that as always, you could send any comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, uh, Mass Effect fanfic if you want to our email. It is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. And our show is also on Twitter as a collective unit. And it is at So Video Games on Twitter. And last but not least, you can reach Brad and I individually with our own Twitter handles. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Yep, it's just my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Um, so go ahead and check me out on Twitter there. And don't forget that we got that big... Uh, video game giveaway coming up on the 14th so if you're interested in that please make sure to follow me and feel free to unfollow after we're done indeed and also this is going to sound really petty but if you follow brad or don't follow him and if you get a game code from him just say thank you after he gets the code it's like <laughs> the very least you can do you get a free game you do literally nothing to get the game just say hey thanks brad and that would be like that would be the, the baseline of being nice for Brad giving you a free game. Agreed. And most people do. There are some who, who just take the game and bail, which is kind of lame um, because I do believe in manners. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, most people do. Most people are really cool. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's going to be a lot of fun. It usually is fun. I like to give stuff away. Giving stuff away feels good. Indeed. Um, and speaking of giving things away, I will give away my Twitter handle right now too uh, for no charge. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at... Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And I say this on most shows, but if you listen to the show and you give me a follow, just say, hey, say, hey, I listen to your show and I'm following you. And about 99% of the time, I will probably follow you back because there's really no reason not to. Um, I just like to know who's following me, I guess, or where they come from. So don't be afraid to say hello. Uh, don't be afraid to tell me that my game opinions are crap if you disagree with them and whatnot. Uh, but I think that's it. Brad, do you have anything else before we sign off? 
I think that's it, man. I think that's it. We will be back uh, next week, uh, technology permitting, and we will bring you more <laughs> games discussion. And, I, you know, if you liked what you heard, let us know. If you didn't like what you heard, let us know. Um, we're all about the feedback, and we definitely try our best to be responsive and to interact with the people who take the time to listen. We appreciate that time. Uh, time is very precious, so anybody spending a couple hours with us is very, very, uh, very, very appreciated. So don't be shy. We try to, to talk to folks. We try to, to reach out and reach back and talk about things and take feedback in stride. So let us know. I, I guarantee that if you say something to us, we will hear about it. We will know. And most of the times, we will do everything we can to you know to respond to any comments. So don't be shy. Your uh, the likelihood that we will like have some kind of interaction is very very good. Let me tell you. <laughs> Indeed. Although you might mistakenly think that Brad and I are so famous that we just have no time in our day to interact with all you little people down there while we're high up here hosting our very famous and very profitable podcast. That is absolutely not the case. Yeah, no, we're just some humble dudes. We do the best we can. Um, very uh, uh, down to earth. We're just, we're just guys. I mean, there's nothing really fancy about it. So drop us a line, <laughs> hit us up on Twitter, send us an email, whatever you like. And we will, we will treat you like people because we're people and we like people. We're people, people. So just reach out and let us know. We love the feedback. That's all. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I think uh, after this two hour makeup show marathon, we're going to close it out and that'll be the end of So Video Games episode 39. But next week we'll be back. And in the meantime, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next week.